Hey, welcome to Genre Exposure, a film podcast. Join us as we explore the wide world of cinema, broaden our horizons one movie at a time. I'm one of your hosts, Dustin, and as usual, I'm here with Michael. Hello, everybody. And Jason. Hey, everyone. It's been a while, so what's up, guys? How you doing? It has been a while. For us, not for the listeners. Yeah. Our group got hit by the COVIDs. Yep. I was I was laid up. It wasn't so. fun, you know, at... It was more deadly at the start, but then you got like two weeks off from everything, and now it's like five days. But, oh, yeah. but it was mild symptoms, so I'm thankful for that. And then they make you go back to work. They're like, yeah. eh, fuck you. Yeah, throw a mask on, come back. Yeah, get back there. <laughs> so, eh. Well, we're glad that you didn't suffer too badly. I'm, I'm very thankful that it was just, you know, kind of like a head cold almost. And, and you were fully vaccinated, right? Yes, exactly. I was about to say, and why was that, Dustin? Because mm-hmm. I was vaccinated. Yes. Nice yep. advertisement for that. Yeah, no problem. Yep, that 4G signal's coming in hot. Wait, you only got 4G? I got five. (laughs) I got five, and I'm magnetic, bitches. (laughs) We are Um, on our last film for this great segment we've been doing on anthology films. Yep. And I had to break the chain. We're not doing a horror film. It's roughly the time last year that we covered an anime, and I thought it was time to go back to one. One a year, that sounds about right. One a year, yeah. <laughs> I think that's all our fan base will tolerate. I just love based it. on reviews. Because like, no one gets to be happy when we do this. Because the, the people that follow us for the horror stuff, it's not horror related. So they're like, uh, I'm out. The anime people are like, who the fuck are these guys? <laughs> they're not really into anime. They're talking about film all the time. I don't want to hear them talk about anime. I would argue there's some horror in this movie, though. There is, actually, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And there's some good horror anime that one day we'll probably Oh, yeah. About. No, we need to. Uh, but first... We're going to talk about what we've been watching, because I have a huge list to go over. Oh, God. Um, it's quarantine list. <laughs> quarantine list, yeah. Um, and i got to give a shout-out, because we are part of the Prescribed Films Podcast Network, and we love it. We love all our podcast neighbors. Who are you shouting out to? I am going to shout-out this time to the newest member to the network, and they are the 31st Prescribed Films Podcast. Cool. And so it is called I Like It Spooky. Oh, yeah. I've seen them pop up in my Facebook feed of the people in our group. Oh, yeah. Uh, So it's four hosts, Brian, Jason, Clint, and Lewis. And very simple premise. They're your go-to podcast for any and all things horror-related. And they try to just always focus on the goodness of the spooky stuff. They mostly do, like, reviews of films, like most horror podcasts. And they blend in segments where they focus a bit on current news not like an exhaustive, like all horror news that's coming out. They kind of each pick one thing that interests them that got announced recently, and mm. we'll talk about it. So I, I like that because sometimes when you have like a news podcast, it gets weird to go back and listen to it later. But when it's one like, I'm really hyped about this thing, that's that's pretty cool. And they also, and it's some good synergy, I think, with um, Cracktastic Plastic. They have like a little segment they do where they talk about uh, collecting stuff. Mm. And so some of them do collect like horror figures. Some of them, it's Blu-rays like me, and they'll kind of talk about like what they've picked up recently, what's, cool. interest, what's uh, been interesting to them. Neat. Uh, Content-wise, for this like joining the network, the episode they actually did is they covered Halloween 1 and 2 as sort of a big super episode. Uh, so, the originals or the, the Rob The Zombies? originals, okay. yeah. All right. um, so that was fun, just because they're the 31st, so Halloween, nice. that, that was a nice little synergy, and I think... The one they just dropped, they did like a double feature of Severin films. So Oh, they hooked you. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm in for it. Um, but yeah, it's it's everything I like about a podcast. It's a bunch of friends. They all love horror. They're all just sharing their passion. Uh, so it's super fun. Go give them a listen. Cool, will do. Okay, and with that out of the way, I think now, what have you guys been watching? 
I can go first. Why don't you go first? Go for it. Cool. Um, I got to watch this last year. Uh, it's kind of a cheater, but I, I, it's a film festival. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, but the Etheria Film Festival, which is playing on Shutter, it also I think it may have played on Shutter last year, but I'm not entirely sure. Last year was the first year that I know of mm. that I was aware of it. Um, but it is a film festival of short films, pretty much comprising of all genres, um, but exclusively directed by women. Oh yeah, yeah, I remember this. Um, one, yeah. Last year's was fucking cool. Like so many great. It's awesome that Shutter like pitches in with that too to get it out to more people. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, I this might have been going on in person before, and I feel bad that I'm I don't sure. have the full scoop for this. But you last year, <laughs> but I think last year because of COVID and all the film festivals went to streaming to be able to do it at all mm-hmm. um it was really accessible um and so i got to see a lot of cool shorts that's specifically what they are though they're all shorts like maybe no more than 15 minutes um this year's was super cool um but with all things there's going to be ones that hit you and ones that don't sure you know um uh, my standout for this one was uh, a bit called dana uh which mm is really tough to watch uh, because it deals with rape. Um, but it deals with basically when no one will do anything to help you that you fucking take it on yourself. And Dana becomes a serial killer of rapists. Um, she's fucking awesome. Like mm-hmm. it's so much crammed into like 10 minutes that you could easily see this as like a feature. As a pitched for a feature. Hmm. Sometimes um, I love that about shorts too. And they can just hit you really hard with something make that point and then get out. Yeah. Right. Like I'm not, it doesn't need to be a feature. Mm-hmm. Like what she did with that segment in that short of time was so powerful. So good. Um, and there's others that rain, not so serious. You know, some of them are a little bit more goofy mm-hmm. and we're on the comedy side, but it's super cool. It only runs about an hour and a half, uh, but it's streaming on shutter. So you can watch it at any time. But I think in a, a time where a lot of people are shitting on women, it's really cool to celebrate women in the industry, women directors, mm-hmm. because we don't get to see it as much as we should. For sure. Yep. So agreed. And thanks to Shudder for putting that out there for yeah. people. Yeah. yeah Shudder's awesome. Ethereum Film Festival 2022. I actually think 21 still streaming on Shudder. Nice. So you can go back and catch last year's too if you wanted to, if you liked what you saw. Yeah, and they're all pretty they're all pretty short and accessible too, so you can literally just like block out a night and sit down and Literally have your own like film festival with and it. And what is also cool is if you have a kid like I do, and a lot of times your viewings get interrupted mm-hmm. um, because of a meltdown or, you know, <laughs> he pooped on something. Right. Um, <laughs> it was okay. like I finished the short and could pause. Mm-hmm. And it's like I wasn't interrupting the full movie experience. It's like, okay, right. well, I go fix the disaster and then I can come back. And I wasn't nice. like fully taken out of it. So sweet. Yeah. Killer. Check it out. I guess I'll go next because I don't want to go last. Okay. <laughs> Jason's got something special. I know it. I feel it. Uh-huh. Uh, so I had. I have so many things I could talk about. I almost need a, like a sideshow now about just what I've been watching. But I think I'm going to go back to the um, full core box set from Severin. Speaking to them, I made it a few more films in. Same thing. I'm going to rapid fire through a bunch. I'll, I'll pick one as like my featured. Uh, so I checked out Lake of the Dead from 1958. Do want to talk about this one for just a minute <laughs> because Michael already knows. Last year, you attended a film festival and wrote up some reviews, and you were kind of, mm, how should we say it? I did not dig it at all. Yeah, you did not dig it at all. You, I was, you, were, you were whelmed. 
you might say. <laughs> I was very whelmed. <laughs> um, and by chance, I got to be the editor for your article. And when I was uh, compiling like the HD pictures they sent us to put in the thing, I was looking at it and I was like, man, these visuals are gorgeous. Are you sure this is a bad movie? <laughs> I didn't. To be fair, you read that article. I did not say it was a bad movie. I no, never I, said I it was not, bad. I said that I was bored. I did, and I felt like a lot of stuff in that movie was dependent on region. Mm-hmm. That and it is set like was it Sweden or uh, it's one of those Norwegian yeah. countries. Anyways, so I watched it. It ended up in this box set, and I was like, "Ooh, I'm gonna watch it and tell Michael how wrong he is." And I did love it. So <laughs> I, I, you're wrong, man. It's so good. It was just very whimsical, very enchanting. There's the visuals are insane and restored in HD. It's so gorgeous to watch. And uh, it does a little bit of like outdated, like psychological stuff. But I mean, that's just of the time it's made in. I think. So I loved it. I had a, had a lot, ton of fun with it. Well, see, I didn't get to watch it in HD. Oh. Because I had to watch it because those festivals were being such little bitches about it, mm. and they were like, "You have to watch it on your iPad." And it was also cropped on my iPad. So they were like, well, you might stream it out. I'm like, oh, get oh. fucked. <laughs> no, I was lucky. All the ones I got to do, they could just like, oh, put it on your computer. And it was no, HD and everything. No, let me do that. Too bad. Uh, checked out Tilbury, which is, I think, set in Iceland. This one's super weird. And I was kind of mixed on it, but it was very interesting. So the Tilbury is like this weird folk creature that like a, a witch would summon and it would be her servant and do like her bidding and bring her power and money and wealth and whatever she desired. And it's this weird, like humany radish like creature and like, like Brown Jenkin, like a little bit, but it's like more, I don't know. It's, it's hard to describe, but it's like the witch has like a, a, a teat on like the, her inner thigh that he like drinks from mm-hmm. to get milk. And then he makes it into like magic cheese. And it, it's just totally weird. The fuck. That's so <laughs> that's, that's definitely folklore right there. It's, it is crazy and insane, but the plot of the film is like this guy, and it's about how Iceland's being like occupied during the World War by Britain, and like the the British soldiers are being like crappy to the locals, and one of the like generals is General Tilbury, and it's this like really obnoxious British guy, but it's also like this Tilbury creature masquerading as a person. It's it's completely bonkers and very much worth. And a you watch. know historically. I don't really think that it's fair to say that the British were shitty to everybody. Because historically, we have nothing to back that up, right? I don't know. Surely there's no like colonization or anything like that? I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, the next disc in the set jumped to Australia. Some cool ones. Uh, the Dreaming. Very interesting one about... like It almost felt like... Uh, almost like The Omen or something. Like It was just this big buildup of like an epic story... Where there was like all this ancient legend, I had to do a lot to do with like Aboriginal lore and like uh, Dreamtime and all kinds of stuff like that. Very interesting, a little mixed on how I felt about it, but it was super cool. Um, Kadaicha, another one set in Australia. This one was almost like a poltergeist riff. It had the same thing about like they built a suburb in a uh, it was like an Aboriginal burial ground or something. And never a good idea. Um. You know, so that was a very interesting spin, too. Um, the one I really want to talk about is called Celia. Also from Australia. This one like caught me off guard and really blew me away. So it's set in the 1950s in Australia. And you have this whole thing of like, there's this fear of like 
communism invading and taking over. And there's other stuff going on, like there's this surge of rabbits, and they're like devastating farmlands. So actually, like the Australian government has all this propaganda about like rabbits are vermin, we need to get rid of them. Is this a Night of the Leapus thing? <laughs> Not quite. <laughs> and so the whole film, it very much feels like the reflecting skin. So I'll say if you love that movie... Mm. You know, last year that was like a big deal for us. Cause I don't. I don't know who would not love that movie. I mean, <laughs> maybe I think, one I of think, our other hosts. What? Oh. Um, but it has that same like childlike innocence because Celia is just this young girl. <laughs> uh, she's like a nine-year-old girl, and she's very close to her grandma. And her grandma's kind of told her all these like folk tales and all this fun stuff. And then she passes away, and she's kind of like trying to find her way in life. And it's very much that like childlike innocent look at the world mm. around you where there's these bigger things going on of like this communist scare uh she really wants a pet bunny rabbit so then that clashes with this like government propaganda that's like we must exterminate all the rabbits they're vermin and she's got like an uncle that's in the military and he's got a kid that like bullies her and it's very like just like a whimsical like it sounds very whimsical. Through, through the lens of the kid. <laughs> you keep saying this but, word, and but, I do not think it means what you think it means. But, like, reflecting skin, eventually it takes this turn into, like, very serious territory where someone dies. and mm. So um, there's child endangerment is what there you're There is saying. child endangerment. Mm, okay. Um, and there is a death, but it is not a child death. So, oh. Jason, it's one for you for sure. Um, and, yeah, and it just kind of, like, builds up into this really great moment of, like, the loss of innocence and growing up and all, all the good stuff in reflecting skin. Um, there's these like monstrous creatures that she learns about in like a story at school. And it's another like folktale creature kind of thing. I forget their name, but there'll be these segments where she like imagines they're coming to get her and the makeup and the monster effects for them is like so, so good. They're never, they're never really like in the film cause it's just her imagination, but right. for what they are, they put so much work into how they look. It was really impressive. Neat. Was this the one that you were texting us about? Yeah, I was like live texting it? you guys. And uh, that's on my list. I, I still kind of loved your ending. And like you were like, "Shit, I was just trying to sit here and watch something stupid." And this movie like hit me all in the feels. And <laughs> yeah, shit. man, I got like misty eyed because I won't spoil it. But like, she gets a rabbit finally, and then like the government. And this was a real thing that happened. They instituted a thing where if you had a pet rabbit, you had to like turn it in, and they stored it at the zoo. <laughs> Because they were worried about them like reproducing and spawning lots of rabbits and stuff. And so she gets her rabbit like forcefully taken from her. And then there's this whole arc of like, is it going to be okay? Is anything going to happen to it while oh, it's, it's there? it's awful. Yeah. And I won't, I won't say what happens, but ooh. I got like that's, mis- that's worse than any traditional horror yeah. type setup. I got know? like misty eyed, man. That's, Aww, okay. That text was so good though. <laughs> like here I am just trying to watch something stupid. And then yeah. this movie got me all feeling shit. It happens yeah. every now and then. <laughs> and Celia and Lake of the Dead are both on Shudder, streaming on Shudder. Yeah, I think most of that full core box set is mm-hmm. served on there right now. So yeah, go check it out. Absolutely. Oh, I'm Lake of the Dead's on Tubi, too, so it's free. Five-star recommend from me. Sweet. We should probably watch the one on Shudder. Well, sure. I mean, if you're listening and you're a horror fan, you don't have Shudder, you're hey, doing something wrong. We really need to get them to like, give us a code <laughs> of some sort. I don't think we're that big yet, but that's I'll, okay. I'll do it for free. We'll, we'll shill them for free, as long as it takes. All right, well, my movie... Yes, Jason, <clears throat> what did you watch? I watched one called Final Prayer a.k.a. the Borderlands. Borderlands. Okay. Um, it is from 2013. It's uh, found footage style. Mm-hmm. Written and directed by Elliot Goldner. It is British. Um, Elliot Goldner? 
<laughs> yeah. That old chap. The very one. Uh, here is the, the premise. <laughs> A team of Vatican investigators descend upon a church in a remote area to demystify the unusual happenings, but what they discover is more disturbing than they had first imagined. Dun dun dun! Hmm. And it's pretty good. I recommend it. Um, it's it's streaming for free on Tubi, another channel we shill all the time. Hey, Tubi. Uh, but they do have a great horror selection, and they it's do. free. I mean, I and I think for found footage, especially, they have a lot of stuff on they there. They do. They do. Um, this one's, it's good. It's, uh, one of the things that always bothers me about, uh, found footage is like, why are they recording? You know, what's mm-hmm. the setup? And this one's a pretty good one because they're investigating. They have to keep recording everything. So, you know, you buy it. Uh, it's not, it has a pretty good atmosphere of foreboding and the end gets, <laughs> it's kind of a, uh, I don't want to say too much. It gets a little weird, but it's cool. I mean that's kind of our thing. Like that that could be our our show's tagline. Weird but cool. It gets a little weird, but it's cool. <laughs> Those are some of my favorite movies. So, <laughs> uh, so if you like found footage and you like the whole religious horror thing, and actually it kind of ties in a little bit with the whole folk thing too, hmm. uh, I recommend it. It's pretty good. Oh, Jason recommending a kind of modernish found footage film. <laughs> hey. <laughs> I, I think I got COVID and then slipped into a parallel universe or something. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a Mandela effect thing. <laughs> I have recommended a few somewhat modern movies. <laughs> All right, so today wrapping up our series on anthology films and we're getting our obligatory once a year anime entry out of the way with robot carnival from 1987 i'll hit you guys with a synopsis right out of the gate nine animators one vision an anthology of various tales of the future told in differing styles with robots being the one common element among them sounds about right very simple premise but each segment kind of does its own little thing Indeed it does. So our genre here this time, we're kind of shifting into sci-fi. We haven't dabbled in too much, but there's definitely some horror elements in some of these segments. Oh, definitely. Uh, So I guess to orient us a little bit, some background on this. It was released in 1987 by A3P, is the production company. You'll see it online abbreviated just Mm A-P-P-P, but you pronounce it A3P, and that stands for Another Push Pin Planning. Hmm. Um, 1991, it got a release in the U.S. in theaters by Streamline Pictures. They kind of toyed with it a little bit, though. They had, they had to dub the one the few segments that have dialogue, and they actually like rearranged the order of the segments. I saw that. To, I, was, uh, I was surprised that so much of it was without dialogue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought this was going to make it interesting to discuss this mm-hmm. one, but um, they thought like to play it on a theater screen, there was like a different order that worked better, and so they rearranged it. I disagree. I like, I like the way it is, but I, yeah. but like we can get into that. Yeah, why the fuck would you think you know better than the filmmaker? I, I know. Like, okay, whatever. Well, I should say Streamline Pictures. Uh, the guy who like helmed all this was Carl Masick. Masick, I think it's Masick. Carl Masick, and he was the guy responsible for Robotech, Green cool. Macross, and like merging all that and localizing it. And he very much had that philosophy of like, 
you can you take it and do whatever you can to make it like play well for the local audience. Okay. So that was where they brought in like a lot of stuff like in Robotech, they very much like Americanized a lot of like concepts and mm-hmm. like the names of stuff and things like I that. I still haven't watched all that. Robotech's mm-hmm. awesome. It's fun. The original's better, of course, but of course it is. Um <laughs> A3P, they're known for a lot of other really interesting anime. Uh if you wanted to toss out just to get people to look into Project Aiko. Amazingly fun little film series of like high school girls, antics, like all, all the classic like comedy anime sort of stuff. Uh, Rojin Z, very interesting film about a, uh, a medical like robot that gets made to be like a um, kind of like an ICU thing to take care of the elderly, and it ends up going on a rampage. What the f- okay. Very interesting <laughs> film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sounds um, good. Some other stuff I wanted to lay down at the start here. Um, the music was composed almost primarily by Joe Hisaishi, except for one segment, which was instead composed by Saku Fujita. Oh, which so, segment was that? Um, Cloud, I believe. Okay. I did like the score a lot. Um, so Hisaishi is super famous. If you know a lot of like Japanese and anime stuff, you're going to recognize him. Um, he's done over 100 different film scores. It goes all the way back to 1981. He's very known for his piano work, which I think in this... You get that in some spots. Um, the thing he's really going to be known for in anime is he's a frequent collaborator of Hayao Miyazaki and Studio Ghibli. Ah, some of that had that feel. Mm. So, yeah, I could feel that. Um, so, um, not all of them, but almost all of them, especially all the ones that Miyazaki's made. Usually it's Hisaishi who was the composer on those. Interesting. Uh, beyond that and other stuff, he's collaborated a lot with Takeshi Kitano on some of his films, uh, notably Hanabi, Sonatine, and Brother. I love Takeshi Kitano, so mm-hmm. uh, that was exciting to learn, too. Was he on Takeshi's Castle? I don't know. <laughs> he should be. <laughs> uh, which, in the West, we were going to note that as most extreme elimination. Yeah. Because it got weirdly localized. That's hilarious. It's some of my greatest memories, actually. <laughs> oh, yeah. Staying up late at night. Hilarious. Staying up, drinking, that. watching that. Yeah. Uh, Saishi's won numerous awards. He's gotten seven different Japanese Academy Awards for Best Music. And just on and on and on. He's just a very decorated music uh, musician, and I think part of like his composing and like musical talent really makes this film sing, which we'll probably get into when we get more into the film. Mm-hmm. I like what you did there, yeah. sing. Yeah, yeah, that was unintentional. Oh, you should have claimed it, dude. Uh, just some more like background stuff before we go into this. Um, the actual OVA was released in Japan on VHS and Laserdisc through JVC. That's original video animation. Yes, it is. That's any sort of animation that was made to be sold direct to video. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jason's so proud of himself. <laughs> He's sitting over there with a little shitty grin on his face like, yeah, uh, I knew what that was. Uh-huh. In the U.S., Streamline Pictures also issued it on VHS after the theater run. And weirdly, it was trapped on VHS for quite a while. We didn't get an actual like proper Region 1 DVD until 2015, when Discotech Media picked up the rights, hmm. which I love that company. They not primarily, but they mostly focus on like older classic anime. And in uh, case you guys are wondering, uh, DVD stands for digital video disc <laughs> or a digital versatile disc. I, I, was it actually digital versatile disc? Yeah. Oh, well, fuck. Because okay. it could be both audio and video. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then Discotech reissued it, uh, remastered on Blu-ray in 2018. And now even there's a 4K version, so oh, sweet. this is this is pretty well released. And so I think, 
think that's all the background stuff. I have a little more about how Streamline uh, cut up the movie for its release, but I think we'll come back to that later. Yeah. That's um, oh, one thing I wanted to talk about. Online, you see this often referred to as a package film. And so a package film is just another name for an anthology film. But in animation, it's a term where it's kind of like there's each segment, and each segment is pretty distinct, and then they've been bundled together into okay. a picture. Makes sense. And, oh, and so here in the States, we also have package stores, <laughs> which are actually liquor stores. <laughs> um, and so generally, there's two types of package films. Uh, a film with little or no new animation, and if there is any new, it's only to be a bridge between the segments. And you would see this a lot in like Looney Tunes. They would have like the original like short things, and then later they would make these like longer kind of films that would like string several together with like a connecting piece. Okay. Uh, like Daffy Duck's Quackbusters is one that I know of off the top of my head. That's just a bunch of different Daffy Duck shorts, but then they kind of made a little thing to link them all up. Okay, kind of like a wraparound sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, then the other type, which would be like what Robot Carnival is, is where it's all new animation with an original premise. Hmm. Nice. Yeah, so I think now we can just go on into the film. And Let's I should say, I do own the Blu-ray. That's how I watch this. Mm-hmm. It has amazing special features. There's a huge like documentary about the movie. And there's all these great liner notes with like behind-the-scenes stuff, which I pulled from for some of my research. Which is and why you have copious notes. In front I have, of yeah, me. I have pages upon pages because I, I copied from that just to, <laughs> just to share with you guys. So the film opens. Sure does. On this like ruined desert uh, landscape. Tatooine, basically. Very Tatooine-ish, <laughs> yeah. Whole galaxy, but they open on Tatooine. <laughs> and this is our opening segment. It doesn't really have a title. It kind of just takes the title of the film, Robot Carnival. Um, it's directed by Katsuhiro Otomo. And we should say off the gate, each one of these directors, they're all notable animators that worked in the industry at the time that have all either at the time done really prolific stuff or gone on to do really prolific stuff in anime. And so it's kind of an all-star cast, each like swinging a a take on this premise. Yeah, and this guy did a pretty important anime. Oh, yeah. So he's responsible for the Akira manga. And he's as well, he was the director and the writer on the film adaptation. That was my introduction to anime. Was it? Was it That's a great yeah. one to start with. Mm. Uh, I had mentioned Rojin Z, the weird like medical machine gun amok thing. He was the writer and mechanical designer for that. Uh, he's worked on several other anthology anime films like Neo Tokyo and Memories, which he did a short for each one of those. And he did his own feature anime film, Steam Boy, in 2004. Oh yeah, I love Steam Boy. That's a fun one. Oh, Metropolis got a lot of attention too when it came out, didn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he and then one, um, he co-directed this opening with Atsuko Fukushima, and this was mostly because he was working on Akira at the same time he was working on this, and so he just could not spare the time to like fully focus on his short. Yeah. <laughs> so he he roped in another person to to help out. Uh, Fukushima is known for a lot of key animation stuff. They were a key animator on the space adventure Cobra movie, which is just this great over the top like action sci fi setting yeah that was used in uh, matthew sweet's girlfriend video it was mm-hmm. yeah i'm glad you brought that up because i totally <laughs> forgot <laughs> it's a great song great video uh fukushima was a key animator on akira and a key animator on the professional gogo 13 mm. which is a great film based on a series of a uh, hitman assassin kind of thing right it's almost like a uh, evil version of james bond in a yeah. sense so we open on this desert 
And there's what? It's a kid that's out. His kid's messing around in the desert. Yeah, yeah he's kind of scavenging, seeing what he can find. Yeah. And he finds uh, like pieces of a flyer. Mm-hmm. And he gets awfully excited about it and runs into town. Yeah, he runs into town and he's kind of showing it to the other people and he's like pointing it out. And this immediately is where we get there's no dialogue. They make noises, but yeah. it's not really a language. You kind of just have to infer everything by yeah. their body language. Which is easy to do. Which is very well animated, so there is a lot of motion and life to mm-hmm. all these people. And uh, the old torn-up flyer is for the robot carnival. Mm-hmm. And everyone seems rather concerned about this. Yes, they're like, oh. <laughs> and I'm thinking, well, the robot carnival sounds delightful. I don't know why they were like, running around and hiding and <laughs> getting in their houses. And Well, because the robot carnival is a Morton Joe. <laughs> <laughs> I love the one part where it's like there's the old woman out in front of the house. And the, the guy that lives there runs in. And is like nailing and boarding everything up, and he's about to shut the door, and then he like runs back out to get her yeah. to drag her back inside. Yeah. <laughs> but then, yeah, we actually see the robot carnival comes comes up over the horizon, and it's like a huge like sand crawler, like a Jawa sand crawler. That's exactly the way I thought of it too. It's yeah. Just a big, massive, decrepit-looking tank that says "Robot <laughs> Carnival" on the front. Sorry. <laughs> Dustin's getting excited. I mean, over here. it would have been fine until you like said "fuck." <laughs> it's okay. You can just mute, 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 mute me at that part. <laughs> Not now. I can't. That's yeah, yeah, man. Anyway, <laughs> so this big huge tank comes rolling in, and it like things open up. And notably, the front is these giant letters that yeah, say "Robot, Robot Carnival. Carnival." Yeah, uh, things open up and like. Um, like robotic dancers come out and stuff and there's like this robotic band and they're playing music and this is where the music really kicks in and we get this very jaunty like celebratory kind of music yeah like carnival music right and you're like well what's so bad about this but then they start literally rolling over the town yeah and at first there's like fireworks and shit yeah and so it's like Ooh, robot carnival and then it's like full-on and uh, you're like no this is great and then some of the fireworks hit the buildings yeah, yeah and explode and then it turns like full-on Godzilla GMK like yeah. where the entire village is just like <laughs> fucking destroyed. Yeah, the robot musicians are like firing cannons out of their tubas and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And I love it because like they, they roll out this conductor and he's kind of just at the head of the, the whole contraption and he's just like flailing side to side crazily. Yeah. And then they up the ante because like on one of the side stages of this platform these little like dancer robots come out and they run on like a track mm-hmm. and they're supposed to just be dancing and they do a funny thing where, like, they play a music box rendition of the theme of the robot carnival. Right. And then they, like, detach and kind of just, like, shoot down into the village. Yeah, they're, like, spitting tops mm-hmm. that come down. And it, <laughs> doesn't it come down in front of someone and he's kind of looking at it like, oh, and then it explodes. Yeah, and it's almost <laughs> like it's going to, like, bow to him. It's yeah. like a greeting. And then it, boom, surprise, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> So that's why they were so upset about this oncoming robot carnival. It makes it, sense now. It seems to be this menace that just roams endlessly. And you get some like some sense of like this must have been something that was like a fun thing that they come back to it at the end in the wraparound that we yeah. get a little more little more uh, lore that we'll go into, but it's something that's gone amok. Yeah. It just keeps going and it won't stop. Mm-hmm. Like an evil energizer bunny. Or and something. kind of our final look is on the hill overlooking the village. A few of the survivors have managed to get out of the way and get up there. And they're staring down at just the ruins of their village as the robot carnival is just hurtling on past now, yep. having destroyed everything. So f- 
interesting start. It's a yeah, it's a great opening because it's so it's so whimsical, but then like it gets really serious because like people are dying and things are exploding. This village is ruined; they can't even live there now. So it's an interesting juxtaposition of like comedy and seriousness that I think echoes into a lot of the other shorts. Oh, for sure. Uh, so some fun stuff about this one. Uh, Otomo said he was influenced by Terrence Malick's Day of Heaven from 1978. He said primarily for its color palette. And when they were working on getting all the colors, he kept asking the animation staff to do the kind of like soft reddish hues that you see in that film. Hmm, okay, I can see that. So that was interesting. Um, he said a lot of the ideas for the comedic moments of like the way the trumpets would shoot out like stuff into the village or the the dancing dolls that come down uh, was kind of cribbed from Monty Python's Flying Circus. Hmm. Like he wanted just that goofy physical comedy okay. to go on. And one of the big things about this project is that each director got to work with Hisaishi and kind of like pitch what they wanted the music to be. And then he would take their like guidance and go off and then compose. Hmm. And so what Otomo told him is that he wanted something like Sibelius's Car- Carelia Suite which is a classical piece of music that kind of has that same, like very jaunty, almost a carnival-like fanfare. Sort of fanfare. Yeah. Uh, and then the one last like funny thing about this uh, segment, they had a, um, a set of guides that were like the drawings to help like make all the animation. And at some point that got lost in the production when they were ready to do the final animation. And so Otomo actually went, to the studio where he was working on Akira and stole a bunch of supplies to remake those <laughs> just so they could get it done. Wow. That's crazy. If that there's anything so I've funny. learned in the last little bit, there's a shit ton of theft that happens <laughs> uh, when making <laughs> hey. films and stuff. Like a lot of things just get stolen from other sets and they're like, yeah, it's fine. They won't miss it. It's, it's totally fine. Whatever to get it done. Yeah, That's exactly. Right. That's right. So this film does something that our others have not done. Oh, yeah, the title cards. Title cards, yes. Um, which I thought was an interesting break in what we've kind of done. Mm-hmm. Before, we've had something that kind of ties us into each of those segments. Like with Dead of Night, mm-hmm. it, it, the story would come along like through our narrator. Mm-hmm. And then with Cat's Eye, we had General. Yeah, to pull us story That kind of led us story to story. And this one just doesn't do that. Right. It just straight up breaks... We get a title card that tells us the next the segment title? is okay, going to here, be. Here's yeah. this story now. Yeah, and then it, and tonally, it could shift like completely mm-hmm. with with no, you know, like tie-in or anything like that. Yeah, that's so. what it's it's interesting too because like each director definitely has their own like animation style, and so you get like very distinct like palettes and tones with each short as it goes. So one thing I wanted to bring up is that I think that if you are <laughs> newer to anime like I am, I actually had a primer to this sort of um, style because Star Wars recently did Visions, oh, yeah. which feels very, very similar yeah. to the way it's done. Like Definitely everything inspired. Is... And there's also like uh, the Matrix had the Animatrix, mm-hmm. which was the same thing. They got a bunch of different animators to each do like a little thing in the Matrix universe. So thankfully, this didn't feel that foreign to me when I watched it. Like I'm not, I don't watch a lot of anime, but at least this didn't, the format didn't feel that foreign because after having watched visions, I'm like, Oh, this seems to be a thing yeah. Yeah. that, that a lot of anime creators do. So, but this next segment was pretty cool. 
Yeah, the next one is Franken's Gears. Franken's Gears. There was a parallel I drew to a movie that I wanted to bring up just so I could make Dustin so fucking mad. <laughs> Please okay. do. Let's do it. Do you know what it is? What? The whole opening sequence is fucking Mad God. Oh, true, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> with, with, with like the globe and the planet and the hands and stuff. Everything yeah. feels very, very much like... <laughs> Mad God, Phil Tippett. Well, he's probably working on this while Stop. this movie was coming out. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's 30 years ago. So. <laughs> uh, yeah. And he says, oh, this part in Frankengear is pretty cool. Uh, they'll forget about it by the time I'm done. There's even like the whole scene where uh, the scientist is like descending into, yeah, in, the, in the, into the ship and yeah. everything. It felt very much like the opening to Mad God. Interesting. Yeah, we haven't talked a lot about Mad God, but um, we both watched it in the festival circle, circuit, Michael, <laughs> and um, I like really had this visceral hate for it i still haven't watched it i didn't hate it i just don't think that it's what everybody it's not as good as the amusement park is what you're saying oh, it's God. not the classic you, lost just, horror classic this is your house Blu-ray. this is your house but just leave <laughs> you know where the doors are thankfully so what's going on in franken's gears franken's gears is essentially frankenstein story frankenstein but with a monster robot. yeah but with a robot um you know, honestly, the animation put me off a little bit on this one. Oh, yeah, you think so? So I like the animation on this one, especially the machinery and stuff. The machinery I love. It was all very intricate and very I did love the machinery, uh, but there's something about the animation of the character. Design of the character. Of, it was yeah. very kind of uh, abstract yeah. in a lot of ways. That's a good way to describe it. Um, not I, bad. It just didn't hit me the way the others did. I think it reinforces his madness. Because mm-hmm. yeah. this is a mad scientist yeah. at work. He's very, very mad. And this is one of the ones with no dialogue. Mm. Um, but essentially, it's it's exactly that. Like, you have a mad scientist who's created this robot that he wants to bring life to. Or... And you can tell from the robot, it's very, like, he's salvaged all these parts. Yeah. And, like, carefully assembled them together. Yeah. And... For what seems like 20 minutes of lightning <laughs> and, and electricity flowing, the robot finally comes to life. Well, it's because it's like they draw some in, and then it's like not enough. And he's trying to like get it going again and like bumbling around this lab. He's and, kind of a shitty scientist. Yeah. Like he's a good, he built it, but he's like, I don't fucking know how to make it work. <laughs> and I got so, any batteries? It's so slapdash, too, that as he's trying to fix it, like gears are falling off and like parts are blowing up. Um, but then there's just a little spark in the robot and it starts to finally rise up and awaken. Um, but that turns out to not work so well for him. Yeah. Which I love its activation because like as it rises, literally everything around them is breaking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you're like, dude, it's getting fucking dangerous in here. Like, like a, a big gear falls right behind the scientist. You didn't think this through, man. Yeah. <laughs> he's, just, he's just laughing maniacally because, you know, his it, experiment It's truly worked. like the it's alive yeah. moment. But there is a lot of really interesting animation of like all these little, the the detail mm-hmm. that went into like as things start tearing apart in this, yeah. I guess mothership or whatever laboratory thing that he's in. It doesn't really say, does it? It doesn't say. It almost could be like ruins of something that he's yeah. like co-opted. But like as things start falling and breaking and destroy and being destroyed, like you see all of these things fall and each one of these things is so meticulously animated that you can actually tell what it is that's falling. Mm-hmm. It's not like some Disney animation where it's just like, Ooh, there's <laughs> dust and dirt falling. Like, yeah. No, you see gears and screws and bolts and everything just falling. Yeah. This did remind me of how much I love 2d animation and how mm-hmm. we just don't get enough here in the States. And as the robots rising, you get a better look at it. And it's got some neat stuff with the arms where, like, parts of it actually look like they're bone almost. Yeah. yeah. The way it's designed. 
I don't think there's a whole lot to say about this segment. Well, it because starts it's, imitating his gestures, right? Right. The robot is... he, he like raises his hands to the sky in triumph, and so the robot raises its hands up, mm-hmm. and he's like excited because he's like, "Oh, it's gonna like learn from me and all, all the good Frankenstein plot that you expect to come." But then he the guy he trips. He trips and he falls. He's got this big globe. Yeah. He, I guess he's obsessed with like I'm gonna control the world. With my big robot. Uh, but yeah, he trips and falls over. So then the robot like imitates him and <laughs> falls on top of the scientist. Yep. That's how it always goes, man. And boom, very short segment. That's that's the whole thing. Mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of this has the theme of... Uh, um, not misusing technology, but perhaps like underestimating it. Uh, I think that's fair. Yeah. How Especially it, with some of the later segments. That's right. For sure. I'm not sure what the word is I'm looking for. So this one was directed by Koji Morimoto. Some of his notable stuff. He was a key animator and mechanical designer on Lensman. That was an animated feature based on the like very, very old sci-fi novels from the West. Uh, he was the animation director, director for the concert scene in Macross Plus, which is an amazing film. Getting a Blu-ray release over here soon. Hmm. Um, he was the director for a short in Memories, which was another anime anthology, and he did the Beyond segment and the Animatrix. Huh. So cool. he, he's a regular for these anthology uh, anime films. Is he an animator on Akira as well? I think, yeah, he worked on Akira too. A lot of these guys all kind of filtered into Otomo's right. world. Um, so some notable stuff on this. Morimoto did almost all the key animation himself. I guess maybe I should define that. So key animation, that's like the main parts of like what's actually being animated, like the most important parts. Because you'll have like other things, like if someone's like reaching their arm out, there's like the main parts of like, you know, each spot, and then there's like the in-between frames. Mm-hmm. That's like the the you know, it's everything that you like when you sequence it all together, that's the full movement. But the key animation is the actual like real important parts hmm. that okay. have to be like very detailed. And then you'll have other people that work on, like, the in-betweens. Okay. Neat. Um, it took roughly a year to complete the segment, since he did a lot of it by himself. He said his biggest influence was silent German films, like The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari and Metropolis. I could see that. Yep, you can definitely. definitely see that. I think that's, too, in the way, like, the mad scientist motions are so exaggerated. Mm-hmm. Because that's the same thing. If you're in a silent film, you have to, like, overact a little bit right. to convey more... Or a Yui Bull movie. Yeah, that's just Yui Bull. <laughs> I just said that so you may have to reference Yui Bull at some point in the show notes. As long as you don't say a movie. Damn it. Um, he said that his premise on like how he like thought of this segment, uh, he thought the act of like a mad scientist creating something in a way is kind of like what it's like to make animation. Uh, he said to him it's the idea of making a dream into a reality. It's a person working as hard as they can, and they're longing for something that's never been seen before, and they're trying to bring that into reality. Hmm. Makes so sense. I like that. I thought that was a little bit of an interesting context for this. That I've often seen like people say this one doesn't have a lot of depth to it, and maybe it is kind of just this funny joke mostly. But uh, I liked that concept that he had about it. I think it. They might say that due to the rest of the of mm-hmm. the segments. Um, this was a shorter segment, true, than the others. It maybe didn't tell as long form of a story as the others, but it had one idea and stuck with it mm-hmm. and told that idea 
<laughs> like, I mean, I think it conveyed it. Yeah, right. no, totally. But it's, then, uh, well executed. Yeah, but there's, it, it can easily be lost mm-hmm. because of the the format of the rest of the film. Right. I think if you so. see a later one and that excites you more, you kind of start to forget about those other yeah, ones. Yeah. Which is one of the downfalls of anthology films. Mm-hmm. If there's, if they're so radically different. Right. VHS is definitely one where there's that problem a lot. So is the next one. Our next one is deprive. Now this is where the action kicks in. Now <laughs> this is the reorganized order. Because I think in the one I watched, Deprive came later. Really? Because mm-hmm. this is like the traditional order. Okay. That I'm going in. Okay. Because what the one I watched, what, what, what was yours? Was Deprive the next one? I think my next one was the Disneyland one. The Starlight Angel. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That was the next mm-hmm. one for me too. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Because I'm going off the Blu-ray. Yeah, that's probably like the official before they switched it around release. So we'll go with that. Okay. Uh, Deprive. We're in a wasteland. We got a badass dude on a speeder bike. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like it's stripped right out of Star Wars. Yeah, this segment's more of my kind of speed. Mm. It's all action, all over the top craziness. Mm-hmm. Um, as he's he's going through, clearly intent on some kind of mission, we get a little flashback that kind of sets up what's going on. It's the Earth, it's in the future, and it seems like robots have been proliferated so much that they're just a regular part of society. A regular robot carnival. Yeah, a regular robot <laughs> carnival, you might say. Um, and we focus on these two characters. It's a, it's a young woman and this robot, and it seems like they kind of have a relationship with one another. They sure do. Um, She's uh, a robosexual. <laughs> Jason, fuck off. <laughs> but God clearly it's a good it. future, right? Because they're accepting. There's no, yeah, there's no absolutely. Uh, questions it should about be. that. Yeah. yeah, love who you love. Exactly. We're all about it. So Lando did it. Hell yeah. yeah. Hell yeah. Um, but then these spaceships arrive. From from far beyond the stars. Damn alien spaceship and robots. They attack the planet with their own robots. Like they always do. And literally just like raise the place, take down anyone they find in their way, and for whatever reason they abduct the girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, they beat up the robot that's with her and just kind of leave him for scrap. Mm-hmm. And then it's very brief, but I think the implication is that he gets rebuilt kind of more into like a combat model. Because there's that one shot of him like wrapped up with all the wires and stuff. Yeah, yeah, and and also she she gave him like a necklace. Yeah, that he's wearing. Um. So with that little flashback set up, you know what he's up to. You, you know, know what he's, he's up doing. to. You know what's going on, and we get like right into it. Yeah, yeah. He's got to kick some robot ass and save. This is cool. Like it's almost like a crystal palace. The, yeah, this really cool design here. And he just like rolls up on this place, and then two immediately two like big hulking attack robots show up to fight him. And there's some great animation in this. Mm-hmm. It really is. This one was probably ruined for me by my own inner monologue, because <laughs> as he was jumping and like jumping on their heads and mm-hmm. destroying them and like blowing up the robots, I kept fucking hearing kids in the hall squish your head, <laughs> squish your head, squish your head. Squish your head. <laughs> yeah. Every time he would jump on one, I'd just hear, it's good your head. And I love the one attack robot, because like, its chest explodes, and then just like billions of cannons. Yeah, like he's right it. in front of it, and yeah. yeah, the chest opens, and there's just cannons <laughs> in his face, and they start firing. Yeah. Uh, so he puts up a good fight, but unfortunately... He gets captured. He gets captured. So he's brought in to meet their leader. <laughs> Who is awesome. He's like a glam rock superstar. Yes. He's got like the, the pale green skin, crazy if, hair. If it was live action, it would be David Bowie. Yeah, it had to be. 
Um, and he has the girl imprisoned, kind of chained up on this pillar above his throne. Because mm-hmm. he's taken a liking to her or something. <laughs> and so you think our, our hero here is kind of at his mercy. But he gets that second wind. Mm-hmm. And he comes back in. And he uh, dispatches both of the like big combat robots. Very epic moment. Yeah, and it's like his, his human facade is gone at this point. Yeah. And you, he's like some combat android now. You know? It's almost like there's some sort of like... I don't know, nanomachines or something that like yeah. gives him a human appearance. Or, uh, yeah, maybe a hologram or something. Yeah. And so then he has a showdown with the boss. Pretty good. It's more of like a traditional just like slugging, yeah. punching back and forth. Right. Um, but he beats him, saves the girl. She notices the pendant. Mm-hmm. And so she realizes, oh, this is my guy. Yeah. He came for me. And it is. <coughs> That's it. Dustin's dead. I'm dying, sorry. He's toking too hard over here. That's the duchy, man. (laughs) Yep, so he saves the day, and he heads off with the girl. Just a simple little action. Yeah, it's great. Super fun. This was directed by Hidetoshi Omori. And Jason, you're going to know some of this stuff, Mm because he was the character and monster designer for Urotsuki Doji Legend of the Overfiend. Yes. And the great part is, is he is not our only person with a connection to that film. We're going to get another one. <laughs> and this is the original Overfiend, right, that he worked on? Yeah. Okay. Uh, he was also an animation director for Char's Counterattack, the Gundam film. I've seen that. Yep. Woo! Great one. Uh, more connections for that later, too. He was a storyboard person and character designer for the Guyver OVA in the late 80s. And just to mention it, because it's weird, he was the director and character designer for Dando... Which is a very weird, like golf anime from the early two thousands. <laughs> Though it's very much, it's kind of like, a, it's almost like a Yu Gi Oh kind of thing, but with golf, where it's like the plucky kids, except it's all about playing golf. They were too busy asking themselves, <laughs> could they make a golf anime, and they never thought yeah. to ask, should they make a golf anime. So he said when he made this segment, his dream was to kind of envision like the future of a world where Astro Boy took place. Very classic anime, but it was that same thing of like. In Astro Boy, like, robots are starting to be a thing and being, like, a part of life and society. And in Astro Boy, there is a lot of, like, discrimination against robots as, like, part of the plot. And so he wanted to envision, like, that future where they've gone through all of that. And now humans and robots live together in peace. But aliens attack. Mm -hmm. Or do they? Uh, He also said he was inspired by some action anime like Hurricane Palomar and Cassern. Cassern I can see for sure because that's all about a robot fighting other evil robots and that same kind of like almost like the Mega Man video games in a sense. Um, he had written a lot more backstory for the main character. He'd even named him. It was uh Su Muji and he had, he had a ton of stuff about like his creation and who he was and how he met the girl. And in the end that kind of got left on the cutting floor because it was just going to make the segment way too long. Hmm. So we tried to filter the, the setup to be just enough to get you to understand like their relationship to drive it all. Yeah, there's plenty there. I mean, you don't, you don't need too much more than that. Uh, for the score, he told Joe Hisaishi to try to do something similar uh, to the score from Streets of Fire from 1984. Interesting. I did like the score to this mm-hmm. one a lot. It's it's got a good like. Has a good kind of techno beat going for yeah, it. Yeah, but like there's a bit of like power metal almost mm-hmm. in there. Yeah, yeah. Um, Streets of Fire was super popular in Japan, so that's why he used it as a reference point. 
Uh, he said he felt the end result reminded him a lot of the band Power Station, but that he was very happy with the final outcome and thought he did it like perfect to what he wanted. And last fun note on this one, Omori had a lot of anxiety about this work, and when it was all finished and he saw the final like full robot carnival, he said he felt like his was too thin and derivative. Which I think is a little sad because I like this segment quite a lot. I liked it quite a lot too. <clears throat> this was the one I think with the first time I saw it, like I didn't hate the earlier segments, but like when I saw this one, I got like real excited and like very into what was going on. Well, this is, I mean, what the three of us, this is like what we go for. Oh yeah. Um, I liked this one a lot, but I was probably less excited because the order I watched them in one that came before this, I liked more and it's kind of similar. Mm. There's a very kind of similar themes going through these two. But we'll talk about that when we get there. Okay, anything else on this one before we roll roll right on? No, I don't have anything. Keep rolling, man. Okay, so the next one in proper order <laughs> is uh, Presence. P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E. Presence. Not presence. Yes. As in like Could you use it in a you. sentence? Could you? Yeah. Um, uh, no, fuck off, Jason. No, don't you. It was a joke. Don't. I was going to. <laughs> so this is one of our segments that actually has dialogue in it. Sure does. Although most of it's like a narration. Mm. Yeah, it's more like a, someone's personal journal kind mm-hmm. of thing. And so in this one, we're given a world that's kind of like... What era would you call this? Uh, it's, almost it's almost Victorian, really. Yeah, I was thinking Victorian. It's very steampunky in a lot of ways. Because mm. the first thing we get is it's like this Victorian kind of like... Maybe London, we don't know, but it, mm. lo- it looks like a Victorian London... And there's this guy walking on the street, and some kids run up and are like bullying him. <laughs> and his head pops off, and we realize he's a robot. Yeah, they're and, kicking it around, and they start shit. kicking the head around. Did you guys watch this dubbed <clears throat> or original? Dubbed. Was this the one where they where they were all Australian? Oh, they were doing a British accent or trying to. There was one that said good day, and I was like. <laughs> eh. Uh, so there are two dubs for this, because the original one that Streamline commissioned, and then for that new Blu-ray release, they did another one that tried to be more uh, faithful hmm. and not do all like the localization kind of stuff. Okay. I watched it in the Japanese original. Of so. course you did, Dustin. Of course. Yeah, I don't even really think that our <laughs> listeners <laughs> we didn't need to ask. really needed to ask. No. If, if one of our listeners was out there being like, I bet Dustin watched this dubbed, whatever. No. You're wrong. <laughs> um... But yeah, these kids are kind of just a backdrop to what's really going on, because then we meet our main character. Does this dude have a name? He does not, does he? He does not have a name, no. He's, he's just our uh, narrator, you He's the say. protagonist. It's like Tenet. Yeah. Did you ever watch Tenet? No, not yet. God, you gotta watch it. It's, it's really like, good. It's so good. Um, and he's just a dude living his life. He, he's describing his day-to-day routine a yeah, little bit. Yeah, he's married to a wealthy woman. Who she's the one who takes care of all the business and makes the money and stuff, and he's cool to just do whatever. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, build female androids. I mean, did you relate to this guy, Michael? <laughs> Are you building a female android in your crawlspace? You keep getting bigger 3D printers, so I'm wondering. <laughs> uh, We're gonna go to his house one day, and Kelly LeBrock's gonna be in there. At first, I did think it was really interesting how timely this one was, mm-hmm. um, considering everything that's going on in the United States and our current climate. Yeah. Um, with Whatever do you mean, Michael? Oh, we won't get into that. Um, but yeah, no, I thought it was interesting that this was the conversation. Theirs was a lot more misogynistic. Yeah. 
in their conversation about it, but still, it's like, I kind of did relate to this dude. At first, honestly, halfway through this, and I was like, just fucking die, dude. <laughs> like, fuck off and die. Um, I yeah, hated so, him so they at have the a, They it. have a kid. Uh, the mom works, and she's like a very like powerful businesswoman kind of thing, and he gets to just putz around every day with his hobby, which is building robots. She's also a very uh, <laughs> hardcore 80s businesswoman, yeah. too. Like... <laughs> Big blazer top. Yeah, you get one shot of her at her job, and she's got like, the huge shoulder pads. Yeah, yeah. I Power thought it was David Byrne at first. But. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was Klaus Nomi. <laughs> but he gets in this interesting, like, little like vehicle to ride out to his um, his lab. Mm-hmm. It's like a pod. It's like a little mm-hmm. pod. Yeah, a pod on a wheel almost. Um, he goes out. He goes first to a lake. And kind of just like putzes around there for a while. <laughs> he's picking up like bolts and like skipping them on the water. Yeah. And we he's, get he's in, got a lot of time to kill. There's a neat shot there though. Like in the backdrop behind him, there's these big mechanical towers. And I guess that's where a lot of the machinery and like scrap is coming from. Mm-hmm. It almost makes you wonder if it was like a more advanced civilization and they've kind of like. It's kind of regressed a little regressed bit. Regressed somehow. Yeah. But they're all a bunch of posers and they just <laughs> <laughs> want to put on Victorian garb. <clears throat> Uh, but what we learn is what he loves to do is to build robots, and he has a little private shack that he goes to where he does all his work, and he has built himself a young and attractive girl. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is this what happens like after your kids go to school? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Like, because right now I'm thinking like, man, I don't have the time for that. But like, when my kid goes to school and my wife goes to work, I guess I'm just <laughs> gonna start building like robot girls. <laughs> Okay. Jason's like, is there a pre-order? Yeah. <laughs> build, build your own how, uh, sex gynoid. How, how much starter or how much do I have to put down? <laughs> <laughs> now I see the word here in the description of this of this short, but I don't remember it ever being said. But gynoid, gynoid, is yeah. that what she's called? She's a gynoid. That's a. Is that uttered in a movie? Do you remember? It's that? never said, but it's implied because that's that's any kind of robot where it's built to have like functional human. So you know what's going on. Uh, here. Yeah, that's clearly the implication that's going on. So is Data a gynoid? Yes, because he's fully functional and anatomically correct. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nice Star Trek reference there, brother. Thank you. Got, you got it in. You beat me to it. Nice. Um, but yeah, he, he's he spends time with this girl. Um, and it, I love her character design, by the way. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Like eighties as hell. Yeah, it's eighties as hell. It's uber detailed. It's uh, great. It reminded me of uh, the girl from uh, Terrorvision. Oh yeah, yeah. It's perfect. It, okay. Uh, shit. What was her name? I can't remember her name. Who's uh, the sister in the, Yeah, the sister yeah. in Terrorvision. Yeah. It had, she had that aesthetic. <laughs> um, and immediately you can tell she's very into him. And he's kind of reserved on all of that as if he doesn't... It's weird because he obviously built her. Right. It's like, dude, what do you, what do you want here? <laughs> What's your end goal? It's almost like he's afraid to go further with it. Yeah, and then she like gets... She's emotionally close to him, and he beats her. He hits her. Yeah. Well, she kind of starts coming on to him, like, yeah. really. Like, she throws herself against him and hugs him. And, and I'm like, you're building a gynoid. What do you want this, what do you want this for? <laughs> and uh, he slaps her. I question his, yeah. What he, the fuck? He slaps her into this mirror, and that's the mirror cool. breaks and cuts her face. Even though she's a robot, that is so not cool. And I guess it's supposed to be oil that's coming out of her. Unless he designed her with blood. I don't but know. it kind of looks like blood. Yeah. And then it's a weird scene where it's like he picks up a wrench and we only hear what happens. Yeah. But clearly he's like dismantling her and getting her. Yeah, it's not good. Odd. Very odd. I have have thoughts of why. 
But I'm not. I hope that that's not where the animator and the writer were heading What's your with thought? it. Share your thoughts. It seems like he's taking a lot of his frustrations out about his wife, about his wife. One. Yeah, on this robot. I think that's a fair assessment because as I've watched this over and over again in the years, I really, I always think about like, why did he make this girl? And I really think it is like he feels powerless at home because his wife to him like runs everything. But and, see, I really hate that. And he builds this other girl to kind of like, okay, I have control over her. And so therefore, like, when he did that, I was like, well, I fucking hate this character, and I kind of hope this segment's over soon. Well, you're probably supposed to hate him. Yeah, I don't think we're supposed to like him. I mean, yeah. I hope not, but I also hated the fact that he didn't trim his fucking eyebrows. Yeah, so after this, we time skip. Yeah. And dude's got some crazy eyebrows. Yeah. Like, just because you get old doesn't mean you, like, stop personal grooming. Or isn't a lot of Asian cultures long eyebrows denote wisdom? I don't know. I think you just fucking made that up. No, I, I'm serious. I know. I know. It's like Chinese history. You've just been has. watching a lot of Shaw Brothers movies, <laughs> and that's, you think everyone it. as they get old doesn't trim their eyebrows down. <laughs> you know that's all special effects, right? Oh my god, no! Don't ruin it for me. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, but he, he's it's in the future. He's older. They've kind of moved out into the countryside. Uh, he's just sitting on the porch, just kind of lazing about. And then he sees this gynoid. Well, first his right? daughter comes out. Right. With and, her kid. With, with her, her kid. Yeah, his granddaughter. Yeah. Um, and it's an interesting conversation because uh, she meant, well, like the husband's not there, but she mentions like, oh, he might come next time. So it made me wonder about their dynamic that, that he wasn't there. Was it like a business thing? Or maybe he's just fucking creeped out by her dad yeah. building maybe a gynoid. Maybe he's building his own gynoid. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, your dad's kind of weird. Um, and I really don't want to go. And the granddaughter asks him, uh, would you build me a toy for next time? <laughs> you don't want that kid. Yeah. <laughs> you really don't. <laughs> well, we do see uh, in the early part when he goes to his lab, there are like little like wind-up toy kind of things. That well, that's made. how it always starts. <laughs> you start like making cute, innocent little things, yeah, and before you, you know it, you make a fully functional sex bot. You know it, man. You, you buy the 3D printer, you start making minis for Jason. That's <laughs> just <laughs> the slippery the slope. The next logical step is sex bot. <laughs> it's weird science all over again. Yeah. I got bras on my head. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, then he sees out in the distance in the field the 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 girl that he made. Yeah. And she's almost like she's beckoning him, mm-hmm. like a spirit or something. And it kind of startles him, and he doesn't know what to do. And um, isn't this where he he says this weird line about I, I can't be your daddy long legs. I don't remember that part. That must be like the original translation. Or well, something. that's in the original translation. I have a note about it because if you watch that, you're like, what the fuck does that mean? Mm-hmm. It's a weird, obscure reference to a novel called Daddy Long Legs from 1912 written by Jean Webster. And so follow me on this. It's about an orphaned girl that gets sent for a college education paid by a very wealthy man who's interested in her, but she never meets him. And the book is told as a series of letters that she's writing to him. And it's like chronicling her growth and as she gains knowledge and education and is trying to like better herself. Is this like a book really big in Japan? Because that is an arcane fucking reference. It is super popular in Asia more so than it is in America. Mm. In fact, in Japan, it's been twice adapted into an anime. Oh, I can see that. In Korea, it's been adapted into a live action film. Two different films from India... 
And in Hong Kong, there was a famous stage play made out of it. Wow. Okay. So yeah, that one sentence is this obscure reference to this whole other like world of a thing. That means a lot more to them than to us. But it does also kind of give some context because that... I didn't read the novel, but to my understanding, there is some kind of implication of like there's this weird interest from the man to the girl. And I think that's mirrored in our inventor guy here and the girl that he built. Yeah, he just needs to fucking die, though. He's a piece of shit. <laughs> wow. Uh, so some more time passes. Oh, wait, no. There is something weird, though, when he sees her because she's there for a while and then she kind of explodes and starts breaking apart. Yes. Yeah, it's like someone's shooting her almost. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then she's like gone, yeah, right? She's it's gone. like a vision or something. And so he goes back to his old shack mm-hmm. to check in. And I think the notable thing is that the girl's there and she is all broken and torn up. And you can tell he did like just beat her with that yeah. wrench. Um, but notably, the way she kind of blew up in the vision, it mirrors the wounds that she has mm-hmm. when he checks on her. So it's kind of like, I don't know, it seems like he has like a lot of guilt and grief. Yeah, she's like covered in dust and one of his tears falls <laughs> on the dust. And, yeah. yeah, sorry, cool dude, visual. no sympathy for you. <laughs> Very wow. artsy. Oh sorry. Uh, so more time passes. Mm-hmm. He's even older and even more luxurious eyebrows. <laughs> like caterpillars <laughs> on those heads. And we see that he's built the toy for his granddaughter and it's like a little miniature version of the woman that he built. Yes. But she's got angel wings. Mm-hmm. And then, again, he notices out in the distance, oh, there's there's the girl. She's come for me again. And the wife is kind of, like, nagging him from, from the house. Yeah, it's like, come in, dinner, or something like that. I think she tells him he's going to get cold or something. Yeah. And she comes out to find that he's not in the chair anymore. Nope. And he's out in the distance with the girl, just kind of walking off. And she sees that briefly, and then disappear. Hmm. And notably, the toy kind of starts itself, and it's just, like, flying straight up into the air yeah I fucking hated this segment man oh we haven't been talking about how we feel about this I guess we'll come back to that um we have been on and been, off yeah I guess I, just I love I love the gynoids you know the design uh, I think the, the, design, the animation design is, is like very is meticulous yeah. in this one yeah it's great and I love the score on this one like it's so haunting and like sad yeah, it is. But I'm, I'm. This was not one of my favorite ones. That's for sure. I just when there's like when characters are so <clears throat> reprehensible, sometimes it's just really hard for me to get into it. To where I'm just like, oh, fuck off, man. Like I don't really give a shit about <laughs> but your. But sometimes story. you have to explore those dark things. You know, it's yeah. part of human nature. Like, no, we, I just live on happiness and sugar. <laughs> and how have I you made it this it. far on our show? Yeah, what the hell? <laughs> that's why I hated reflecting skin. Come on. <laughs> So, this was directed by Yasuomi Umetsu. <laughs> I know some um, of his work. <laughs> so, he was uh, early on notably... A, such a goddamn perv. <laughs> uh, he was a character designer, chief animation director, and key animator on Megazone 23 Part 2. That's Is some, that good? There were these very good like sci-fi mecha films. Because I showed up on Tubi. Yeah, they're a lot of fun. Cool, I'll watch them. Uh, what he's more known for, though, is making two different series, uh, Kite and Mezzoforte. Mm-hmm. And these are both, originally they were both like, are they classified as hentai? I don't know. It's like, they're just action anime that happen to have a sex scene in you, them. You could take those sex scenes out and you're not missing anything from the story. And in fact, some of the... Kite re- was released. Yeah, it was yeah, released, like that, uh, edited that way. Um, <clears throat> yeah, but I mean, I mean, they're pretty, 
I mean, they're good movies. Yeah. The, the animation's great in both of them. And amazing, amazing action and like gunplay mm-hmm. in both. They also did uh, <laughs> one of the uh, Cool Devices episodes. Oh, yes. That's yeah. a fun series as well. Uh, oh, and Lily Cat. Have you ever seen that one? That's the weird, like, alien ripoff kind of movie. Yeah, about yeah. the alien takes over this cat's body yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Super fun. Yeah. That's on brand for Jason. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so when he was brought on to do this short, the only thing he had ever done work-wise was that Megazone 23 film. Um, but he had a good idea. And he said he got the idea because he was looking at old photographs. And he kind of wanted to do a thing where he, like, made a world out of those photographs that you could just, like, enter into. Hmm. Um, he said even though it was always planned from the start to have dialogue he really wanted it to feel as visual as possible and so he kept the speaking as minimal as possible and more focused on his narration than actual like interactions Okay. Um, he said that while storyboarding this it made him reflect on his own aging and eventual death and he thought about how the world would perceive him as he gets older and he kind of wanted to blend that as a theme into the short. I mean, they'll probably perceive him better if he doesn't like beat a robot and if he trims his goddamn eyebrows. <laughs> uh, he said Stanley Kubrick was a major influence for how he like framed everything. He said he loves how Kubrick likes to build interesting spaces where stories take place. Uh, he loves jazz, especially composers like George Winston... And so his pitch to Hasaishi was that he wanted it to have a kind of sleepy, light jazz mood to it. Um, he said, but the final outcome was different than what he hoped it would, but he thought it nailed the right tone for the short. He's like, have you seen this kind of beatnik one called Inflatable Sex Doll? <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, if you could take the score of that, do that. That's too intense for this one. God, fuck this. <laughs> Um, some interesting like follow-ups on this. He's done a lot of interviews where he's actually talked about this segment. And he said actually, uh, it was in 2000 this interview happened, and he said that he was actually embarrassed by this work and that he considered a failed attempt to try to do something that was beyond his reach at the time. That was beyond his reach at the time. Are you going to be okay? My voice is dying, man. We'll get there. Um, yes, he I'm says, logging here. <laughs> he, says, um, he does think there's certain cuts that he really likes. He said everything with the, the girl he loves, especially the animation of her skirt as she's yeah. falling. Yeah, it's so detailed. It's amazing. Um, but he said to him he felt like the human performances were very wrong and a little too unnatural. And he said, like for example, he worked under Masami Suda, who's a very famous animator at Tatsunoko Productions. And he said that anything that Suda's worked on, that's always very nailed, like the humanity and the portrayal of people. Hmm. And he wished that his had kind of come out more like that. So I thought that was part of the point. Like, she is so detailed and perfect, and everyone else is a little off. That's kind of how I took it, but I, I wonder if maybe that actually wasn't his intention. It's kind of well, like he should a, have said anything, because it, it, it's cooler <laughs> thinking it, you know. Yeah. Kind of Shut a, up, bro. Like, humans are imperfect, but she's kind of perfect. <laughs> Well, that's why it's nice that you can have your own interpretation that's right. of a film. I don't care what the creator says. <laughs> Death to the author. That's what I want it to be. Uh, anything else on this segment? No, fuck this no. segment. Let's go. So wow. One thing I do want to ask is, so <laughs> I have a thought, but what do you guys think actually happened there at the end? Oh, man, I don't know. You don't know? I think he just wandered off and died somewhere. I, I think <laughs> that in that moment, that was him like passing away. Yeah. And he was like... 
the spirit was like beckoning him to the afterlife. Right. <coughs> so it kind of makes me think. Uh, I think Dustin's dead. Need more water? Are you good? Uh, I'm drinking more water. So there is a little bit of a parallel um, to where I think of uh, in Midnight Mass. Mm-hmm. Um, I said, oh, it's kind of hard to talk about this without a spoiler. But as one character dies mm-hmm. and he talks about he's haunted for his entire life um, by this girl that he killed in a drunk driving accident that he was drunk right. and killed her. And he's haunted by her his entire life and he can't sleep. Because he always sees her in his dreams, because that's the one person he can't ever, like, oh, right. make it up to. Like, yeah. like, there's nothing he can do. Right. And it's almost like, in this sense, this dude's haunted by... I think he does have regret. Yeah, like, he created this thing, and then he was absolutely shitty to it, and destroyed mm-hmm. this thing, and it was more than just... Um, I could also think you could draw parallels with child abuse in this as well, yeah. you know, of, like, the things that you've done... Uh, no, fuck those people. Um, <laughs> sorry, but I no. mean, like, but people who may who I'm have, not going to defend child abusers. No, I'm not either. <laughs> but like someone who may have remorse for abusive things they've done in the past, they're trying to change their life, but yeah. they're never you. You will never, no matter how hard you try, fix that. Yeah, you can't take that moment back. No, you've done it, and that's yeah. yours to. So it's almost like maybe if he did die, in that sense. The same character in Midnight Mass when he finally dies. That's the last thing he sees is the girl. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, it's like she finally says, okay. I think, too, the fact that the toy, which he's kind of designed like an angel, it's like flying to the sky. Mm -hmm. So that's like he's gone on to the afterlife. Oh, he's probably burning in hell. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Fuck that guy. (laughs) (laughs) So now that brings us to Starlight Angel. Spoiler, my favorite episode. Oh, I was going to ask that at the end, but we, we can get into it more. I really did. I liked this one a lot, too. I love this segment. Surprisingly, I liked it a lot. I wasn't expecting it. So it kicks in, and we're at an amusement park. Disneyland. Yeah. That's Space Mountain. Basically, yeah, yeah. Very thinly veiled. castle and everything. And it was. He said his design of the park was based on Tokyo Disneyland. So. Mm. I figured it it was because I'm a Disney nerd, (laughs) um, and I go to Disney World pretty regularly, Mm. Um, and they have... In one of the parks, they have set up dioramas of the other parks around the world. Oh. And that was straight up Disneyland Tokyo. Hmm. Uh, yeah, but we're introduced to two main characters, uh, just two girls out having fun at the, the theme park. And this is another one that doesn't have any dialogue. Nope. Doesn't need it, though. No, you don't need it at all. Mm-mm. But a very poppy soundtrack. <sighs> very poppy. It reminded me of the... Uh, um. Oh, blanking. Why am I blanking? Oh, Joy Division song. Blue Monday. I can see that. Yeah. I kept hearing that in my head. Very, very 80s soundtrack. I think it's just because you what you wanted. <laughs> it could be. It could be. Uh, yeah, they're running around having a good time and stuff. And uh, yeah, it's a robot-themed amusement park. And one of the, the robots working there notices one of the girls. And seems enamored of her, but yeah, she kind of trying to like flirt with her by being goofy and yeah. being like, oh. And great character designs on the girls too. This is my favorite kind of animation uh, style. But as they run past the robot, though, he kind of gets like spun around, yeah. and she just like kind of brushes past him, and he's like, oh, forlorn. But he accidentally grabs her locket. Yes, yeah, it gets like caught on him, and notices that inside the locket there's some a blonde. picture of some blonde dude, <laughs> some <yeah>. Chad. 
<laughs> Total Kyle. Well, Michael, I'll ask you this because I know you've seen it. He looks suspiciously like Char Aznable. He does, Gundam. yeah. No, I'm super fascinated or interested in Japanese animation's fascination with blonde characters. I think because it's not something that's in their culture, I feel like whenever they design... I know a lot of people dye their hair. Yeah, but like naturally, mm-hmm. like the guys that they animate, no. Yeah. Those are always like straight up Chad, Kyle, blonde dudes. <laughs> but yes, he did bear a strong resemblance to to Char. We'll put a pin in that. We'll come back to it. Okay. <laughs> um, so as they're hanging out and having a good time, they have this conversation. And it's one of those ones where it's like, it's very simple to pick up what they're saying. Yeah. And it's basically like the one girl's like, hey, I met this guy. I want to introduce you to him mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. And she runs over to him, and then the main girl sees him, and oh, it's the Chad from the locket. Which clearly she's been dating. Yes. And he's like, but wait, we could have a threesome. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, of course, she's all upset and runs off. Meanwhile, the uh, robot guy has been trying to find her to return the locket. Yeah, and and this was kind of fun, because he's bumbling around and stuff, and he kind of falls at one point. And his head falls off. Yeah. You see his head fall off. He gets up and he runs and, and picks it back up. And then but runs off the screen. frame is just so yeah. that you don't really see, like, was there something under the head? or right. exactly. Or I also like this part because this is where they really nail in that this is Disney because they have the, like, nightly parade with yeah. all the floats and stuff. Yeah. Also, it's, um, my wife and I have a joke that, like, if you've ever been to Disney World or Disneyland, like, the hospitality is absolutely fucking insane. Mm-hmm. Like they go so out of their way to be ridiculously nice and do everything for you so that it's like truly quote yeah. magical experience. And I just imagine this dude's like, no, 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 it's the Disney way. I got to find her. Got to <laughs> get the locket back. She dropped her locket. Got to find her. Got to find her. <laughs> yeah. He can't just take it to lost and found. Yeah. No, that's not the Disney way. Mm. <laughs> that's not magical. <laughs> so she runs off and she's upset and she gets on this ride. I guess it's supposed to be some sort of virtual reality thing or something. Yeah, it's supposed to be like a VR ride where it kind of takes uh, your mental state and like projects stuff. That's put, dangerous. Don't put Jason in there. <laughs> be a lot of hentai. I guess they assume because it's Disney and it's like the happiest place on earth. Like, Yeah, who's going to be upset. in an upset mood, mm-hmm. right? But it's neat because it is like a little coaster that you ride in and then it all just like vanishes. It's like the beginning of the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon. Yeah. And she's in like a virtual world of the park, but she's flying. Yeah. And at first she's kind of like, what's going on? Oh, I'm so scared. Mm-hmm. And our robot guy shows up. Yep. Well, and there's a bunch of robots, isn't she? It, it isn't there? Yeah. Yeah, she's like creating them or something. Well, at first like. she's like afraid, and then he shows up and shows her that, like, oh, you can fly in here. Right. It's okay. Yes, yes, yes. And then that's they do the when, Superman thing where they're both flying, holding yeah. hands. Yeah. And then she starts making all kinds of other fun robots. Yeah, some really cool designs in there, too. Mm-hmm. But then she sees that he's got that locket because well, he's he, trying to give yeah, it back Yeah, he tries to, to return it. Yeah, and that freaks her out. So then her trip gets bad. <laughs> yeah. She gets very upset, and her negative emotions start to impact this virtual world, and it creates this big, like demon robot it's cool yeah it's a really cool mech it's an amazing design i mean i would i would this would be cool in like a serious you know Mm. animated movie and it seems like it wants to consume her so it's almost like it's her like negative feelings personified yeah yeah consumes an interesting word that you chose there (laughs) i I didn't really choose it it just (laughs) came out this isn't vor porn all right i don't know 
They do weird. <laughs> so they do some weird shit, man. I don't know. <laughs> hey, it's just like shooting like lasers out of his mouth too. Yeah, yeah. which could be like the lies that that blonde Chad is spewing. I, I'm so glad that you guys refer to him as a blonde Chad. <laughs> Any anyone that actually likes anime is gonna fucking hate this episode. And it's <laughs> they, dude, they tuned us out after Promary. <laughs> oh no! Why'd you say it that way? Uh, so yeah, so then um, the robot guy is trying to help her. Yeah, he's fighting the the big bad mech dude, and this is where his head gets knocked off again. Yes, we see that it's just a guy in a costume. It's a guy in a costume. It was his helmet. His his mask had fallen off earlier. It wasn't his head. And he's a he's a very attractive young man. Yeah, he is not a Chad. No, he's probably like a Steve. He's a nice boy. <laughs> he's a Steve, <laughs> and um, he he makes a cool laser sword. Yeah, yeah. He, he, Tell me this dude worked on uh, he didn't. Gundam. Oh, we'll get to it. Oh, wait, no. Okay, sorry. I thought you were going to say something else. Um, so he fights off. He, he saves her. They kind of like work together to mm-hmm. oppose this thing. And they're able to defeat it. Yep. Saves the day. And her friend, meanwhile, has slapped the blonde chat guy. Yeah. <laughs> Broke it off with him. Yeah. She's, she's she's a good, a good friend. friend. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a good takeaway. Girls got stuck together. Yeah. You know? uh, so then we kind of jump to another night at the theme park, and it's closing time. Everyone's leaving, and it seems like she's brought the friend there because she wants him to meet. It's time for that threesome. Yeah, it's time, it's time for to meet the uh, cool guy in the robot costume. And he Keep comes the costume out, on. And he comes out. And God they, damn it, Jason. Geez. Uh, he comes out of the park and they kind of embrace and hug and yeah, have a sweet little moment. It's sweet. It's nice. But see, in tr- the reason that you didn't see him before, because in true Disney fashion, they <laughs> he, can't. The actors can't be seen. Right. He, he was committed to the character. Yeah. yeah they, he's, he's, he's like, oh no shit, I'm gonna get fired. <laughs> and the mouse is like, do we have a problem here? <laughs> we got a fucking problem. <laughs> Sounds like we got a problem. So this was directed by Hiroyuki Kitazume. And he got his start at Sunrise as far as like being like more prominent and working on uh, Zeta Gundam as like a lesser guy. And then he was one of the main character designers and animation directors for its sequel, uh, Gundam Double Zeta. And then he was also a designer for characters and an animation director on Char's Counterattack. But what Jason is ready to know is that he is our other Urotsuki Doji guy because he was a character designer on that as well. And that was like the new saga or something, right? Yeah, it was like that next set they made. Yeah. I haven't actually seen that. You should. <laughs> I will. <laughs> um, so th- I gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> the vibe in here is getting a little creepy. <laughs> so the neat thing about Kitazume is of the people that did this project, he was the only one that actually worked a lot on robot anime with Mecha and, and stuff. And you could tell that comes through. Um, and yeah, like I said, he cut his teeth on Zeta Gundam at Sunrise it looks um, like his filmography isn't very big, though. Not really, which is sad, because he's a great designer. Yeah, he's great. Uh, at the time, he was busy working on Gundam, and so uh, he did a lot of the key animation for this, but he brought in a lot of help for the combat scene, because mm. it was too intricate for him to do alone. Right. He said his goal was to focus on the girl's emotions, and he said that he had been working so much on mecha anime that he really wanted to focus on the non-robot elements and try to convey real human emotion as much as possible. I think he did a good job. Uh, for the music, he gave Hisaishi a tape of Seiko Matsuda's 1985 single, T-1000. 
Tenchi no Wink, or Angel's Wink in English. Hmm. And he said, you know, I love this. It's got a fairy tale feel to it and a good rhythm. Use this as like your springboard to make uh, the score for this segment. And she's kind of interesting. She's a literal pop princess. Um, she's actually descended from like noble lineage oh, wow. in Japan. And she debuted in 1980 and became a huge hit all throughout the 80s and onward and even to today. Um, she's often compared to like the being like the Madonna of Japan. Um, after she first blew up, she had 24 consecutive number one singles. And she's still a big deal today. Damn. And the local media there calls her the eternal idol. Hmm. Because her career has just endured and endured and endured. That is a Black Sabbath album name. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this was Kitazume's first directorial work. And in later interviews, he's gone on to say that he felt that his short was more like an add-on instead of one of the key features. Because he felt like everybody else did more impressive stuff than him. I, this is my favorite Which segment. I hard disagree yeah. because I love this segment. Yeah. This, this segment... Was different from the others, but honestly, I think this has the most heart. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. that he it, really did nail that emotion. It's very relatable. Mm-hmm. It's so relatable. Also, it's Disney. Um, he also <laughs> says that even though he's not like a hundred percent happy in the end, he had a lot of fun making it, and he's very appreciative every time he hears from other people, and they tell him how much fun it was mm-hmm. to watch. Nice. Well, it was very fun, sir. It Do you think people great. cosplay as their robot? At conventions and like show up. I'm I'm gonna do it now. These days it's pretty niche, but I don't know. I would I would love that. I'd fucking do it. Yeah, I'd I'll ask go him. and and he'll be like, "Why? <laughs> Why are you doing this? How much time did you spend on this?" Um, Will l- you sign my butt armor, sir? <laughs> butt armor. And the last little thing. There's a lot of fun like character cameos in this. So throughout the amusement park, you can see several of the Akira characters blended in with the crowd. And then the notable thing is that very by intention, the uh, blonde Chad was made to kind of look like Char from Gundam, <laughs> which is interesting when you know a lot about him because he tends to somehow end up with uh, young girls around him that he bends to his will. And he's a Chad. Yeah. So I thought I saw Kaneda uh, and Tetsuo yelling at each other in the background yeah. at one point. <laughs> yeah. They're there, and I think one of the, like... Uh, the like counter like spy people oh, yeah. that are kind of like undermining the city. You see one of them in the crowd as well. They can't go to Disneyland too. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, I love this segment so much because it's everything about like classic anime that I love, where it's right. just like very poppy, very over the top, a lot of emotion, cool action scene. Yeah, whenever I think of anime, this is the sort of thing I think of. This mm-hmm. is the sort of thing I like. But that brings us to our next segment, which is a big departure from that. We get to Cloud. Yeah. I don't think we need to spend too much time on this one. This is like the artsy-fartsy... I.E. boring. <laughs> Lame. Oh, this is boring. I, I didn't care for this one at all. This is the one that uh, last time I said, Jason, some of these are kind of like a tone poem. Mm, this is a tone poem. This is the one I had in mind. Okay, well, you describe it. Well, we've got a little robot boy that's, like, created. Mm-hmm. And he's wandering up among the clouds. Yeah. And it's done in like a, how would, what would you call that style? It's it reminded me of a flip book. Yeah. yeah. And as he wanders, you're not going to find anything better. I nailed it. 
flip book. No, Michael's exactly right. That's Thank you, the Dustin. That's the kind of the style. I wasn't going to say you were wrong. <laughs> you, were looking, you were sitting over there looking for a better word. <laughs> you just couldn't let me have it. I was it. trying to think of something nice to say about this segment. And, and so he, he's kind of just wandering. And in the background, you'll see like little shots of stuff. Like there's rabbits at one point hopping along. And yeah. Don't let him go to Australia. Oh, no, not at all. <laughs> if I can take it. And um, it's like you it's, see like a mushroom cloud at one point. It's very abstract. To me, what I always thought is that it's kind of like he's going along like the chronicle of human history. I hate this shit. And the devel- this is like pretentious crap to me. I just really don't like this. And it's one. like the development of humanity, and yeah. we reach that point where we do like the atomic stuff, and you we gotta like, spend ten fucking minutes to get to it. We, yeah. we, we ruin the world, and he's still just existing and moving among all of that. Uh huh. One of my favorite things about our microphones is that they easily pick up Jason's size. <laughs> <laughs> wow. He's just sitting there like... <sighs> Spoiler, this is my least favorite. <laughs> <laughs> so this one, like, the first time I watched this, and I will maybe tell more of the story about my first time with this after we go through it all, but it, it like, very much depressed me, and I didn't understand why the first time. Mm-hmm. Because it's so bad. The others are so good. You're like, no, no, no. I I was like fascinated with it because I felt like, especially the first time, I was like, I didn't understand it, but I wanted to. Mm -hmm. Because there was something sad about it, but I didn't know quite what, like, why, like, why was I feeling this way? Kind of. Okay. Why was? Why were you feeling emotions? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. There, there is just something sad about it. This is this lone little robot boy just kind of wandering along and. Uh, you know, humanity sucks and we screw everything up, so. Yeah. <laughs> do you like it? Do you like this segment? I do like this segment, okay. yeah. All right. It's okay. It's I, fair. I think, no, it, it's, it's... I think it asks a lot of the viewer and that if you're not ready to sit there and give yourself over to it, it's kind of, it, it really puts you off otherwise. Mm-hmm. It put me off. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I thought it would. Uh, so this was directed by Mao Lamdo. Yeah, what hentai did he do? <laughs> He's also known as Manabu Ohashi. And it's weird because he's worked on a lot of stuff, but he's not had a lot of like big, bigger achievements. Hmm. Uh, some notable things I wanted to throw out. <laughs> he was a key animator for the children who chase lost voices, and he was a key animator on Paterna Inverted. Those are some interesting anime films. Um, so Do anyone, Does anyone out there know what he's talking about? <laughs> If there's any S- send anim- us an email if you know what he's talking about. If there's about. any anime fans hanging in there somehow, they know. <laughs> they left a long time ago. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, this guy is a prominent animator that's worked on a lot of stuff, but he doesn't have a lot of like big name credits. Uh, he met the rest of the people on this project because he was helping do animation for Neo Tokyo, which was an anthology film. I do, I do know the name of that one. And that's kind of the inception because a lot of these guys were working on Neo Tokyo, and as they were doing it, they had the idea for Robot Carnival. And then they, they had that thought of, like, we want nine people. And then they kind of would seek people out and ask them. Um, so, Lambdo at the time, he was considering quitting the anime business. <laughs> I keep thinking you're saying Lando. Because <laughs> uh, he thought, like, he just thought that it wasn't working out for him. He was going to quit. The Empire came and shut him down. <laughs> and in that moment, Morimoto actually asked him to do a short for Robot Carnival. And at first he turned him down because he was like, I'm, I'm done with this. I'm not, I'm out. <laughs> um, but he remembered that a few, uh, it was six years before this, he had self-published a picture book. Very like flip book style kind of thing. See? <laughs> Very good, Michael. <laughs> Very insightful of you. 
And it was called The Boy in the Cloud. And he thought about how he could reimagine it and make the boy a robot and kind of add a little more to the premise. Uh, so he was the last one recruited to the project. And he has very much a different background. He said a lot of his major influences for his work was uh, American cartoons like Popeye and Mighty Mouse. And he said that he really preferred to draw nature over robots. That's what's wrong with this segment. And that guided, Everything is wrong with this segment. And that guided some of his focus on what he did. So uh, he actually gave like a really, in the liner notes, they had a very like detailed explanation from him, like talking about this work. So... <clears throat> He's getting choked up again, folks. Uh, He said that Cloud to him was a reflection of his own frustration and loneliness working in the anime industry at that time. Uh, He said, What I was really aiming for was the part at the end, when the robot turns around. It was me turning away from my heart from the first time. Behind me are the voices of the world at large, and I had always ignored them and kept walking along because I didn't want to see or hear them. The cloud in front of him is a representation of my own heart, I suppose. Turning back for the first time was the first time I opened my heart. I've had emotional experiences like that before because I was very stubborn when I was younger, and I wanted to capture that in animation. Okay. Yeah. Jason, anything? Do anything I for just, you? No, I just no? really didn't like this segment. I just really didn't. It, just, it seems pretentious, artsy-fartsy crap to me. And I like it is. just artsy It is, for crap. sure. Um, <laughs> this was the first short to be finished, because it is, like, you know... The shortest. Yeah, the shortest. That's um, time-consuming, because it's not very good. Because he had the extra time, he started making a companion piece that they were actually going to insert in. It'd be, like, another segment that carries on. And it was going to be about a girl robot. But he only got a... Gynoid? Third... <laughs> no, just the same premise of, like, a little kid, but oh. as a robot. Um, but he only got a third of the way through production on it, and then there were some disagreements about how to do it and how it was going to be done. And the time was running out, so they just shelved it. It never, never got finished. And then he quit anime. <laughs> well, he did stuff later. <laughs> he was like, well, um, I guess I was right. Yep. This is our one segment with the, the, the other composer, Isaku Fujita. I'm not sure why they didn't use Hisaishi for this, but... Because um, he didn't like the segment. But Lam- <laughs> he watched it, so this sucks. But Lambdo was <laughs> close... Was close to Fujita, so they worked directly together uh, in like the composition. <laughs> I love how Dustin just pushes on. He keeps going. He's like these assholes that I'm stuck here with. Uh, oh, I keep God. doing this goddamn um, thing with the main like track that they use is called Why, and it's named that because whenever Fujita brought it to him, it was like, "Here's what I've composed for you." He said that just listening to the song itself, it sounded like the score for a child asking God a question. Clearly, you didn't have children because there'd be more than just one question. <laughs> uh, and here's our last fun fact on this one. I'm sorry I've had so many, but it's, there really is like a lot in the background on this one. This was a family project. All the animation was done by Lambdo, his wife, and his two daughters who helped do the in-between animation. And he said because of that, his family has this very emotional attachment to this segment. <laughs> I'm shitting all over it. <laughs> um, and later, much much later, they went on to do another collaboration like that, and they all worked as animation. Uh, they all worked on the animation for Junkers Here Come Here from 1993. And Jason, we've got a surprise interview <laughs> oh, <God>. with, the, <laughs> uh, with the animator. 
Uh, and the last bit about him, he stayed a key animator on, and he never quit. He actually kept in there. Uh, but he's never directed another project since Cloud. Surprise interview at the animator again, just so you <laughs> can tell him what you think of Cloud. I like it. I think it captures a lot of emotion, and it's very, very minimal, but it manages to, to impart a lot to the viewer despite that. Jason's just an uncultured swine. I just, am. I'm a plebe. There, there were no boobs. There was no blood. <laughs> no robots. Fuck this. I'm interested. <laughs> it is, I, I do think like over the years that I've watched it and I've shown other people, this is like the most divisive one, I think. That's like it either clicks with you and you're like, oh, interesting. Or you're like, <laughs> fuck, show the next segment already. <laughs> that was me. So oh. it was the latter. But you're with me, right, Michael? Yeah, where do you fall on this one? I... I'm gonna pull it. I'm gonna take a play out of Jason's book here and say I saw what it was doing. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. and I honestly didn't care, and I feel bad about that. Like when I watched it, I was just like, okay, yeah, I, I see what you're doing. Yeah, like I get it. This dude poured his heart and soul. Oh, I know. Into this. I mean, uh, yeah, but I just wasn't on board. I mean, that's his. That's his journey. You know. No, I, I if you like it, that's cool. I I'm happy for you. I wouldn't. I was like, I'm just gonna sit here while you go on that journey. If that's cool, <laughs> especially like after Starlight Angel and um, uh, Deprive. Yeah, that was just. And I get. Uh, you gotta have the different. It's like a palate cleanser. Yeah. It's like something different. Fine, but I just didn't like it. And we needed that palate cleanse because now we're going into the penultimate uh, segment. Yes. Strange tales of the Meiji machine culture. The Westerns Invasion. Mm-hmm. The Westerners Invasion. Or A Tale of Two Robots, Chapter 3. Yeah, which I think that's invasion. the streamlined yes. uh, title. <laughs> this one's crazy. This one's very crazy. <laughs> uh, it opens and we are in Meiji-era Japan. That's when the West was starting to come over a lot. You're getting a lot of influence from other countries entering Japan for the first time. And we're in this sort of like... Kind of like a tenement area of a city where there's a lot of like homes and buildings that have been made. And there's a giant robot attacking it. A like made out of wood mm-hmm. and 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 some metal pieces. It's very not quite steampunk, but I guess it really is kind of steampunk. Uh-huh. It's got that vibe. Because the other robot we meet literally runs on steam, so Um, yes, and it's piloted by a Westerner. A very crazy very crazy. Westerner. Uh, it's a mad scientist that could have got along with okay, the guy. Okay, so that's why games. his dialogue is also in kanji on the screen, yeah. right? Okay, I was in, curious about that. In the Japanese, they have him speaking English. Okay. And then they throw the subtitles to the side. Okay. Uh, yeah, but he's just a crazy mad scientist that thinks he's a genius, and he's going to conquer the world, starting with Japan. Mm-hmm. But little do they know, Meiji-era Japanese guys have built <laughs> Meiji-era Jet Jaguar. <laughs> for a parade for an upcoming parade yeah I love it because it's like a parade robot so it's like a big festival shrine that's been built into a robot yeah and there's like four or five of them operating different parts of this robot my favorite's that that old dude just chilling and he's like <laughs> <laughs> he looks so uninterested in the battle mm-hmm. the older guy he's like move the leg oh yeah he's, he's like, like oh, yeah. yeah whatever Whoop. sorry we fighting yeah we fighting <laughs> yeah, but it's like you got a guy that's like shoveling wood in to burn to power it. Yeah. Uh, you've got your main like hot-headed young guy that's like the main pilot that's calling everyone what to do. He's the Jaeger pilot. Yeah. <laughs> I love the little short kid with glasses because <laughs> the whole time he's got a book on English 
and he's trying to understand what the mad scientist is saying. <laughs> okay. And then uh, there's a lady there, too. Yeah, and she's kind of... She's controlling one of the arms, I think. Yeah, she, I think yeah, that's right, yes. So, of course, they're going to fight off this invading Westerner with his robot. Yeah, protect the city. And, of course, they fight <clears throat> off the invading robot with a much more traditional... Like... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny, because like, they start to approach one another... And then the mad scientist comes out and he gets a cannon. Mm-hmm. He's like, I'm just going to shoot him and take him out. But the shot goes wide and it just like careens into the town and blows up. Yeah, they're destroying half the town, as giant robots often do. So then he realizes he's just going to have to go over there and dismantle them face to face. And it's hilarious because you have this whole long like walking segment yeah. where the music's building and building and they're just going and going and going. And you see in the background the sun is like setting. It's taking them all day to like march across the town. Um, but they finally get close, and they finally start to try to battle. Yes. And uh, what? It's he tries to punch them at first, I think. Yeah. And then they kind of like <laughs> I forget the then, order. then they raise an arm and grab him. Yes. And then they're going to turn and like try to throw him. Yes, but tears off their arm. And in trying to do the movement, I just hit my mic. <laughs> <laughs> Dustin, you're a mess tonight, man. I may die after this episode, to be honest. <laughs> this might be the last genre exposure. Well, at least you're going out on anime. <laughs> yeah, so, take yeah. to Twitter about it. <laughs> Tell everybody it's your last. So th- this one's very comical. Um, There's a lot of infighting among the kids. Yeah. Everything's very exaggerated and hyper real. And I love the one part where something goes wrong and the little kid in glasses is like, fine, I'll do it. And he just like crawls and gets on one of the gears and like rides it up yeah, to the next level. That was cool. That was neat. Because it's really interesting how intricate the robot is mm-hmm. to be just like a little festival thing that they've converted. Yeah, you kind of buy it. Mm-hmm. Um, so they trash the town. And they do end up, what is it, they, they knock loose, like, a thing inside the mad scientist robot, and all these cannonballs start, like, rolling everywhere. Yeah, which I guess are bombs, because yeah. they, they start going off. And they pretty much dismantle his robot. Yes. So, end of the day, they've won, they've, they've saved the city, even though it's, like, totally destroyed. <laughs> they save what's left of it. Uh, the mad scientist slinks away. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is vowing that he'll build an even better robot and come back. Yes. Challenge them again. Get his revenge. Because he's a dirty guy, Jim. Yeah. And we get a funny, like, denouement where, like, the lead guy's been arguing with the girl the whole time. And then he tries to be like, well, we saved the day and, like, slip his arm around her. Uh-huh. She ain't having it. <laughs> Stomps his foot and he screams and falls off the wall or something. Yeah, he did. And I love how they try to end it where, <laughs> he, I doubt where it's like, dead. they try to do this weird, like, patriotic thing where he's like, look, everyone, it's the rising sun of Japan. Yeah, yeah. And you see it for a second, but then they're like, dude, the sun's setting. Yeah, yeah. Super goofy, but super fun. Very goofy. So this one was directed by Hiroyuki Kitakubo. And some of his notable stuff you might know... Uh, he was the director and did the screenplay and designs for Black Magic M66, very popular OVA. Uh, he was the director for Rojin Z, which I've brought up several times now about the the rogue medical uh, equipment. Uh, he was the director for Blood: The Last Vampire in 2000, very popular anime I've written by uh, Mamoru Oshii, who I love. 
Uh, but you a, love the American remake even more. I fucking hate action. it. It's so bad. <laughs> when was the last time you guys thought of that movie? <laughs> I, I hate that you mentioned it. And now I have to list it in the show notes. <laughs> uh, this he, might be the one episode where he like, completely omits that. It's like it doesn't happen. Uh, he also directed Golden Boy, which is this very hilarious, very raunchy OVA from the mid-90s. It's just about a dude going around trying to like score with ladies. But he's like, fuck up and messes everything up all the time. Sounds like a lot of anime. Yeah. <laughs> he did uh, some Mobile Suit Gundam too, didn't he? Yeah, I think he's worked on some, yeah. Um, so his original concept was he wanted to have a giant robot in a very urban environment to show the scale of like the destruction of that and people panicking as battles go on. Um, but he wanted to give it another twist. And so he thought he would set it in the Meiji era so that would color the technology of the robots and he said that at the time, like, he felt for that era, there's so much going on with all, like, the Western influence coming in. Any, it, was, it felt like a time when anything goes. So you could have this crazy concept going on. I think it works. Um, Kitakubo tried to design the characters, and he didn't like the results. And so he asked um, Naoki Urasawa, who's a famous manga artist. They've made stuff like Monster and 20th Century Boys. But it fell through and it didn't happen. So then he went and asked Yoshiyuki Sadamoto, who is famed for doing the designs for Evangelion. Uh, okay. The characters from that. And then he brought in Mahiro Maeda to do the mechanical designs of the two robots. And he's worked on uh, Blue Submarine Number 6, which is another like short OVA mecha series. And that was some of the earliest works for both of them was doing the character and mechanical designs on this. Uh, for the music, he asked Hisaishi for something light and rhythmic, and he definitely wanted to make sure that Japanese instruments were included to kind of get that flavor of the time. Uh, this one had a very hard production, and it took them two years to complete it. Wow. And it was so sure. rough that they kind of like would work on this in the same studio. And Omori, the guy who directed Deprive, he actually said a few times he saw Kitakubo coughing up blood because he was in such poor health. Jesus. Kind of like I am on this episode. Yeah, I was going to say, right uh-oh. Yeah. You're both dying for your heart. <clears throat> I can you, relate to this you guy. You both have a touch of the consumption. <laughs> yeah. And uh, to this day, even now, Kitakubo says that he often gets asked by fans if he's ever going to make the sequel chapter where the mad scientist comes back. Wow. Hardcore fan thing. Or the, or the prequel, because this no. is chapter three. Right. So it's just one, like, everyone loves this segment. Seems to be the general general vibe. It's what better did, than Cloud. What did you guys think? God damn it, Jason. Oh, I liked it. It was fun. Mm. It was goofy. Um, I don't think it's the strongest. Usually you want to... No, no. Oh, God, we're not even done yet. There's another one after There's this. There's one more. Um, but it's fun. I liked it. Cool robot design. I like the whole steampunk Meiji era, era thing. It was fine. It brought me back after Cloud. Um... Maybe that's what it exists for. For the people that get put off by that, this one ropes you back in. But I was, I'll be honest, at this point of the film, I was starting to get a little tired. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I was starting to, I don't know, I was starting to be ready for them to wrap. Because mm-hmm. I felt like there had been enough mm-hmm. to really create a full a, a full feature. Nine segments is quite a lot when you think about it. But it's also only an hour and a half runtime. Yeah. But I felt like you've come across, a, like you've already been through a lot. Like right. you've been through a lot of stories. And I was getting to the point where I was like, okay, I'm kind of. 
That's one of the reasons why I haven't watched a whole lot of anime because I do feel like sometimes it can beat you up, you know, <laughs> visually and emotionally and stuff. Sometimes, especially visually. But no, this one was this one was definitely like back. studio trigger stuff. This this <laughs> one was definitely back from in back in the same. I, I felt back in the tone of the whole thing where Cloud yeah. kind of departed from that tone a bit. Yeah, I can see that. So that brings us. <clears throat> oh God. That brings us to our final segment, other than the like little epilogue thing, uh, Chicken Man and Redneck. <laughs> Great title. A.K.A. Nightmare. Yeah, it's Nightmare in the Streamline dub. <laughs> Which makes a bit more sense than Chicken Man and Redneck. <laughs> I have a fun note about that. but uh, okay. So what happens in this one? We've got a very like metropolitan city. Kind of just looks like it could be Tokyo mm-hmm. uh, modern day. Sure. Seems nice and normal. But something happens. It Wait, does. Are they saying Chicken Man? Are they? It does. It, there's a Chicken Man bomber. I'll explain. Okay. When we get there, Dustin will explain all. You know about the Chicken Man bomber, right? Uh, no. Okay, we'll get there. <laughs> um, yeah. So we meet our main character, which just seems to just be a homeless guy. Just kind of is in an alley, right? Yeah, he's in an alley. <laughs> just hanging out. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Um, but yeah, something weird's going on as, as night falls in the city. Yes, because this giant robot rises up from the landscape. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, like it's like kind of incorporating all the surrounding you know, city structure to form itself. Yeah, it's like it's drawing different parts from things to like make itself in this weird like Frankenstein-y amalgam. And I had a huge, especially because he starts like raising up other robots and stuff. Mm-hmm. Huge night on Bald Mountain moment from the Disney from Fantasia. Oh yeah, when yeah. When Chernabog is up there raising all the demons and yeah. stuff. <laughs> well, it's interesting you say that because that was one of the primary inspirations. I figured for this segment. That and Hieronymus Bosch, I'm sure. Yeah. So yeah, the he makes all these creatures and they kind of just start going on a, a rampage to the city. And it's really cool designs too. Very mm-hmm. demonic looking, very kind of twisted. And... But they're all very like scrap patchwork kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's all like put together. And notably one of them is this like almost like a wizard looking robot. But he's got kind of a chicken looking face. So he's, he's a titular he, chicken he, man. He is the chicken man. Okay. And in this like red cap. And he's sort of like flitting around the city kind of like overseeing everything. Yeah. So it really has nothing to do with the chicken man bomber. No. Okay. Um, And as he's doing that he notices our homeless guy and it's clear that like he's not supposed to be there. Like for some reason, like all the humans are supposed to be gone. Yeah. But he is still there to witness this, and it becomes a sort of like cat and mouse chase. Yeah. Um. Yeah. He starts chasing him around. The guy's on a scooter, and he's and this is so intricately animated. This one's really impressive when it comes to animation. Yeah, it's very like oh, it's so overwhelming how great everything looks in this. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you get the impression that the chicken man is trying to attack yeah. the dude on the scooter. Well, he ain't supposed to be there. Right. <laughs> exactly. Right. And the whole time, though, the big Chernobog dude, the big robot, is, like, trying to kill him, right? Yeah. Trying to grab him. And it almost made me think of, uh, like, the old Ichabod Crane, yeah. the cartoon. Yeah. So because Hollow, I got the same. Because there's the one scene where, like, the, the homeless guy, he's on the, like, little moped riding, and mm-hmm. he turns his head all the way around. Yeah. Which Ichabod Crane does in that animation. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
and he's, he's being chased by the chicken man and stuff. It was very, I got the same, same vibe on that one. And there's a great, like the score on this one too. Like it's very intense. Yeah. And there's a good, like driving beat the whole time. It was a good score. Um, but as their chase continues and the chicken man's making robots too. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I said he kind of has like a wizard vibe to yeah. me. Because he would like wave his arm and robots would spawn up. Right. Uh, so our, our homeless guy gets mixed up in all this craziness. They're trying to capture him. It's very almost like a Tom and Jerry thing. Because it's like every time they, they mess something up and don't capture him. Yeah. And he gets out of it. He's and keeps barely going. escaping. And then a lot of stuff starts to break and fall apart. And there's a lot of like mechanical stuff crashing to the ground and mm. things are breaking and it's interesting because sometimes the big guy like picks up some of the little robots and then just like smashes them to like make them into something else. Yeah. So and all the, 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 the scenes of all the robots skulking around and moving, it, was, it looks like Chronomus Bosch painting. Yeah. You know, with the weird twisted demonic creatures. And yeah, things. I'll try to link one of those in the show notes yeah. so people can see. Yeah. Um, now, was the chicken man trying to save the dude? Because I got that impression. Like, he didn't want him to get killed. Right? I Does thought he was mean? trying to capture him, but... I thought he was trying to save him. Michael, break the tie. I was for I was for the killing. <laughs> okay. I was All for right. the killing. Okay. Okay. But, I mean, you know, there's a fine line between between capture and... I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm sorry. <laughs> It, it's, uh, okay. it, uh, it's like one of those proverbial things I was going to try to say and like pull out of my ass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I didn't work. I didn't have it's getting it. too late for you, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Your I'm brain old, stopped man. working. <laughs> Michael's starting to fade. I'm old. Sorry. Um, <laughs> so we can wrap this one up, though, because the, the dawn starts to come. Yeah. And with the morning dawn, it starts to dispel all these creatures, which is that like... Much night, like Bald Mountain. Right yeah. on Bald Mountain. Um, And so our homeless guy manages to evade and get away. But he's like stuck on top of a skyscraper, right? Yeah, it's like some of it didn't go back to that other place. Or it's always there or something. And people just don't notice it. Yeah. Yeah. little comical ending. Hmm. So this was directed by Takashi Nakamura. Some of his notable stuff, uh, he was a character designer and animation director for Arashimon, which is very super popular. Uh, He's directed some other films like Catnap the Movie. Uh, he did the screenplay and was the director for A Tree of Palm. And he was the director, script, uh, and storyboard person for Fantastic Children, which was a TV series in 2004. Hmm. He said on this he wanted to do something where he could like do a very interesting, flourishing kind of animation that like really had very good animation, but it mixed well with like sound to make a whole complete package. Yeah, it's also another one without any dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, he said that he always felt like he always wanted to have like full control over everything, but he had to like always concede to be like, I'm just this person mm-hmm. on this project. So on this one, he used it as a chance to just control everything and really try to like capture his vision into a segment. I'm surprised he didn't do more after this. Cause I think it's really good. Uh, he said some of his big influences was the Toei animated features that they made in the sixties and seventies, uh, stuff like the little prince, uh, the Eight-Headed Dragon, and Horus, Prince of the Sun. It had an old-school look to it. Yeah, very classical kind of style. Um, because of his schedule, he couldn't collaborate with Hisaishi like the rest of them could. So he didn't get a lot of like back and forth on like figuring out the score. 
and he said that he thought it fit well, but it wasn't really what he was hoping it would be. Um, but on Hasaishi's end, he said his biggest influence for this score was the uh, Nightmare at 20,000 Feet segment from Twilight Zone, the movie. Nice. And he liked like sort of the chaotic yeah. uh, tone of that one. God, that's a great segment. Uh, the opening shots of this one were rotoscoped from video footage that was printed uh, one frame at a time using a very bad quality printer. Hmm. And that was to give it that kind of like weird but hyper-realistic look. Yeah, I thought I saw some rotoscoping in there. Yeah. A lot of like... It's such a little part, but it's very talented to set it up that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, the robot designs were influenced by scrap metal sculpture art, which you can definitely tell. I got Shinya Sukimoto vibes. I know he yeah. came after, but yeah. I, he had to have seen this and been influenced. Especially for Tetsuo and the way it's the weird like just amorphous robotic yeah. entities. Right. And on that, he uh, the director said that he was very interested in any art that involved destroying something and then using what you destroyed to give it a new form and new life as something else. That's cool. Uh, the film's name is from that main robot. When he was working on it, it came out, like everyone said, like, oh, it's a chicken. <laughs> and so that's kind of where they got the name of those are kind of like a chicken. chicken Man and Redneck. Uh, like you said, Jason, for the U.S. release, they renamed it Nightmare to have a little bit more of a neutral title to it. Yeah, I feel like that's probably a good move, honestly. And I thought this was interesting. This was Nakamura's directorial debut. And when he was going to do this, at the same time, Miyazaki set, offered him the role of animation director on Castle in the Sky, huh. which is a hugely popular Ghibli film. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he actually turned it down so he could do his, his own like directorial debut with Robot Carnival. Good for him. Yeah. So I thought that was pretty cool. That was cool. And that brings us to our little epilogue. Yep, little coda. We go back to the robot carnival from the intro. Yeah, yeah what's left of this village? <laughs> like this family living in the little hut by itself. Uh, is the father out like scavenging or something, right? Well, there's one other part first before that. Oh, yeah? Because we get the robot carnival and it, it's going still. Oh, right, right, yeah, right, right. it's out in the middle of the desert, just nowhere. Yeah. And it comes upon this huge sand dune. And it starts to try to climb it. Mm-hmm. And it starts to just like shudder and shake and steam's shooting out of it in every which way. And we get these flashbacks of like the robot carnival in its prime and see that it was this thing that went like city to city and people just like watched the performance and celebrated yeah. it. It wasn't evil and killed people. <laughs> and we can clearly see it just like went out of control at some point. As technology often does. And so it makes this like big last hurrah, gets over the hill, and then just fucking falls apart completely right yes that's kind of an important part i skip <laughs> and then that brings us to you jason sometime in the future uh-huh. this guy's scavenging he finds a lochnar a <laughs> what the lochnar uh, heavy metal the oh i wanted orb. i wanted to bring up heavy metal because that's like another sci-fi animated mm-hmm. anthology yeah um you can definitely draw some connections there i got some heavy metal vibes every now and then from this yeah, but he takes the orb back to his family, mm-hmm. and he's like, ooh, look, kids, here's this fun thing I brought you. <laughs> and they activate it, and it's like a little tiny doll version of those dancers. Yep. So it plays the jingle, it does the dance, and everyone's like, ooh, so captivated about yeah. it. And then it fucking explodes. <laughs> yep. 
destroys the whole little... And, and we're given a, a in-title screen with the ruins of their house and what there's like a little like animal that's out there. Yeah, like a, rocking. a llama or something. Yeah. Camel, I don't know. <laughs> and that's the end. And that is Robot Carnival. So, holy shit. I don't have any other notes because I threaded them in segment by segment. I thought that would work better. Yeah. You guys think? Plus your voice is probably about to go out. Oh, I'm dying. So let's <laughs> talk about our final thoughts on this one. And I want two things. Okay. I want your favorite segment. Yes. And then I want your final thoughts and your rating. Okay. So you guys go first so I can try to not die a little bit. All right. Do you want to go first with me too? Yeah, I can go first. Uh, favorite segment has got to be the Disneyland one. What's that Starlight called? Angel. Starlight Angel. Yes, sorry. I, I was going to fucking forget the name of it. I knew it was. Um... That one was just kind of whimsical, fun, uh, kind of dreamlike. It reminded, it felt like it could have been a, a Black Mirror episode. I could see that. In some ways, like, I don't know. Um, but a lot happier than most. Oh, Black yeah, Mirror yeah, yeah. Episodes. Way, way yeah, happier. It's not dark enough. Yeah, way happier. Um, but this, oh, man, I feel like an asshole. Um, this film represents to me what can go wrong on an anthology film because I felt like there was too much. Mm -hmm. There were too many segments, which left me open to having too many chances to jump off (laughs) and jump back, like, and jump back on. So for me, like in too many exits on the interstate is what you're saying. (laughs) Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that probably makes me sound more like a, you know, like, well, he just has a short attention span or whatever. Not necessarily, but at the same time, like I think when they, none of these are truly tied in to right. a key thread. You know, they're all just individual well, technology robots. Yeah. But other than that, yeah. yeah. But I mean, it's not it's not like what we've had in the first two of the anthology segment, right? You know, like those are all kind of looped together in kind of a nice, neat little package. And this one requires a little bit more of the viewer. But I almost I think, think the other ones we've done are more of the outliers. Eh, when you think about it maybe potentially but i struggled with this one hmm. because there were segments that i really liked and then there were segments that i was just like can this be done what was your least favorite oh, well cloud for sure it was my least favorite but honestly i didn't care that much for the giant robot fighting one uh or like the wow. um wow. the, the Maiji one the, i know oh the i did not care for that one as much so their individual the design got me through that one. Like the characters, I was kind of like, eh, but the design was awesome, so I was okay with that. It did at least bring me back from Cloud a little bit. Yeah, um, just because Cloud was such a departure. Not saying it's bad, mm-hmm. but it was just, it was just a departure. <laughs> wow. So it hurts me to say this. There are segments that I really like, and there are segments I would give five stars. But as a whole, I'm gonna go with like two and a half. Mm, okay. Well, see, I think that's though. When we set this up, this is what we said about anthology films. Is like even when the whole package is bad, if you didn't care for it all, there's probably still like one segment in there that like you loved. And I'm not gonna say that this is bad by any means because this is literally just my opinion of it because there's a lot of it where i can see where a lot of people would really love the whole thing Mm -hmm. as a whole every segment you know but for me this one just did not captivate me Mm -hmm. like the stories didn't draw me in as much as i would have hoped for and i found myself towards the end of it like kind of kind of hoping that it would be the last one Mm -hmm. you know and and when it wasn't i was kind of like 
Okay. <laughs> I got another one to go. And when you hit that point, I think when you hit that point in a film, it doesn't matter how good that last segment is, you're already kind of ready to clock out on it. Mm-hmm. And so it takes... So let me ask, did you like the Chicken Man segment? I or did. just kind of done? I, I did, but I was kind of done. It would be interesting if you watch these just by themselves as self-contained shorts and not that part would be of a movie and see what your reaction is. That would probably work a little better yeah. for me, I think, in a lot of ways. <laughs> just because, as a whole, I was like, okay. You know, it, yeah. this isn't the, the type of anime that I like. You know, it's not. It's not. It's not the, I understand. <laughs> it's just not the normal type of stuff that I would gravitate towards. Um, and I'm sure that anime nerds would call me a plebe for it, or whatever, whatever the term is for it. I, I mean, I'm going to call you a plebe for it. I don't, <laughs> I don't give up. I don't give. Well, you a are fuck. an anime nerd, so yeah, you're right. I don't give a fuck. We made this podcast so we can say our opinions, and if people don't well, like them, you know, fuck off. That's but. what's great about this is we're getting like different takes on this so yeah i i know that you love it and i hate to give something you oh, love man, cool. a lower score but i'm as a whole i think i'm i'm going with two and a half jason but michael would it work better as a play <laughs> i bet cloud could be a play god fuck you jason <laughs> it'd be more like one of those interpretive dance kind of <laughs> yeah god <exactly>. damn it <laughs> uh favorite segment by far is starlight angel Interesting. Great animation, fun, all the way through. Just great character designs, charming little short. Uh, I also liked Deprive a lot, too. Again, you get the whole very kinetic robots fighting. I mean, you can't go wrong with that. Uh, I also really liked Chicken Man and Redneck quite a bit because of the imagery and the... It's a great one to end on. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Franken Gears is fine. It's like all of these I appreciate from an aesthetic view. Mm-hmm. You know, the detail and the animation, it's, it's gorgeous. But at the end of the day, I'm like, eh. Cloud's definitely the weakest for me. I think, <laughs> I think we've established yeah. that. More like sure? Mushroom Cloud. You've gone brimstone Just... level on, on Cloud. Yeah, I guess I have. Actually, no, you haven't called out the director personally. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and told him that he can go fuck himself yeah, yet. So. Not yet. <laughs> Uh, you're not that you're not to Dustin's level yet, <laughs> but you can't do that, Jason. He made it with his family. <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> I, I like his family. <laughs> wow, <laughs> I liked it better than Michael did. Um, I'm, I'm going to give it three stars. Cool, nice. How about you, Dustin? How do you feel about this movie? So, like I said, I have a lot of history with the Robot Carnival, mm-hmm. so I guess I should set that up first. This was one of those they screened it a lot on the Sci-Fi Channel when I was growing up. Hmm. And it was in that time where I was first figuring out, like, oh, these are Japanese anime. Yeah, that was back when they would actually play yeah. cool anime, like, every Saturday. And that was, something. like, yeah, it was every Saturday morning, and they would do stuff like this, Galaxy Express 3.9, which I mentioned in my Episode Zero thing, uh, the Akira movie, Rojin Z, which I've brought up a ton on this episode. It needs a Blu-ray release, so let's let's get that happening. Like, Appleseed, things like that. Appleseed, yeah. Uh, one of the Tenchi Muyo films. And so it was the first time, like, before that I had only seen, like, I had seen Robotech, I had seen Voltron, I had seen adjacent stuff like Transformers. They were just starting to show, I think, Sailor Moon (laughs) on Fox at the time. And then I realized there was the Saturday block, and that was like, boof, I dove into the deep end. And Robot Carnival was one of the first ones I saw, and it just, like, totally captivated me and my imagination. 
I became obsessed with it to the point, like, anytime it screened on a Saturday morning, I would make plans to, like, clear up my schedule to watch it. And like I said, there was a lot of stuff like uh, Presence and Cloud, they both, like, very much, like, there was a sad thing about them, but I, I was young at the time, so it's like I didn't understand everything first. And so I keep going back, because I was like, why, why does this make me sad? Why why emotions? Why? <laughs> <laughs> Um, but then that's also kind of where I got my love of anime, and I was like, you can take animation and do more than just, like, a 10-minute bit that's a joke. And you can tell, like, complex stories and have these deeper and bigger emotions, and animation's a perfectly fine medium to do that in, where also you can tell these things that, like, you, you most of these you couldn't take and do in live action, especially at the time. Or as a play. Or as a play. And even now, a lot of God, these, it would be people. like shoddy CG if they tried to make it, and it wouldn't really have the same impact. Oh, yeah, does. 2D versus CG. I mean, it's just... Eh. Um, so, yeah, it just it was one of those things, like, it dove me, like, over the cliff, down into the pool of anime, and just, like, it built that love for me. Was it that pool? Yeah, it was that pool. <laughs> I, I dove into that pool, and my love of anime began. Um, How old were you, Dustin? <laughs> <laughs> Something's inappropriate yeah. here. So, my favorite segment... And I'm surprised that it was for you guys too, Starlight Angel. Yeah, it's the best that one, like, obviously. It, it's so much fun. Um, I love the character designs, which is interesting, because mm-hmm. then I eventually became obsessed with Gundam. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm seeing a thread here. Um, God, it's just so much fun. And it captures everything I love about this, of just like the creativeness, the stylish animation, great music, the whole total package of all that merged together to then like convey an idea and an emotion. Um. There are weaker segments. I do like Cloud quite a bit. I can understand how it puts people off. To me, probably I would say the weakest one is Franken's Gear. Gears. Franken's Gears. And it's not that it's bad by any means. It's just kind of... It, it's there and it gives you this one shot idea. Yeah. But I think in the scope of it, like it gets dwarfed by some of the later stuff. Mm-hmm. Which I think it's interesting that um, with Starlight Angel and then the guy that made Deprive... They both thought their segments were like the lessers of the bunch, but those are like my favorites. Yeah. Like after after Starlight Angel, it's probably Deprived is my favorite. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um. So yeah, I love this one start to finish. I think it's an amazingly fun masterpiece. I can understand why it won't land for some people sometimes. So I totally get your criticisms, Michael, and yours as well, Jason. Uh, perfectly makes sense to me, and I understand it. But for me, it's it was the first time I saw it, and it is every time I rewatch it, a five star all the way. Oh goodness! You know what my favorite thing Dustin said in his entire wrap up of that was when he said he would clear his plans. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would like people. Would I'm going like, to push the sandbox to noon. Uh, I wasn't. I wasn't that young. But no, it would be like friends would want to hang out and like, oh, come over to my house and let's like. You're like, no, 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 no. Play video I'm sorry. games. And I'm like, oh, I'm just going to watch a movie alone in my room by myself. That was my favorite part. Yeah. I cleared my plans. I thought, I thought the same thing. I'm going to make a joke, but now he's in the middle of something personal. His, so um, his mom was also his secretary. Mom, <laughs> clear my plans. Robot, no calls. Robot carnival is on. Push everything back to one. Well, no, it really would be like my parents would be going somewhere and they'd be like, oh, do you want to come along? And I'm like, oh, can I? Can I God just, damn it, can I just, <laughs> I'm sure they just thought I was weird that I'd be like, no, I'll just stay home. I'm okay. No, they just thought you were jerking it. It's fine. He was an indoor child, much like myself. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I love Robot Carnival. 
That's my takeaway. I'm awesome. dying. All right. All right. I promise I don't have COVID anymore either. I just mm-hmm. am having a terrible COVID aller- germs all over that microphone. Allergy Probably. attack, and I am not going to recover. All right. Well, that wraps us up for our anthology block. Be sure and tune in next time to see if Dustin's still alive. <laughs> yeah. And if I am alive, we're going to do a listener episode, which Ooh. are my personal favorites. Yes, I, I love doing these. Love, um, and we are going to loop around to one of our very first... Um, we ever received. That we ever received. And we didn't do it at the time because we were we had just done one of those direct, that director's I'm other films. I'm going to throw Jason under the bus. He was like, I don't want to watch it right now. Well, who said that? You. I did? Yeah. I remember that. Because, the re- because you weren't in the mood for it is why I picked Under the Silver Lake. So, interesting. Okay. I'm in the mood for it now. Yeah. What are we watching? So we're going to check out It Follows. Ooh, it does follow. Uh, it Follows is a classic, like, recent classic, honestly. Um, so if you haven't seen it, uh, it's going to be an awesome time for you to see it, because you'll get to listen to our... Our rousing, insightful commentary. Our rousing commentary um, on and it. Yeah, it was 2014, directed by David Robert Mitchell. Dustin, yeah. do you have where it's streaming or where they can get it? If it's not streaming, I will say this. You can pick up the blue at Walmart for like seven bucks. Yeah, it's super cheap. It's very out there. Yeah, it's super all over the place. So you can honestly just type in It Follows and you'll find it. Um, Jason's going to get it real quick right now. It's on Roku TV with ads. So it's free there. Yeah, it's, it's, there's only place where it's free right now. Well, it's plenty of places. And honestly, if you're going to pay five bucks to rent it, just go buy it. It's yeah, maybe on Netflix. It seems like yeah. it's not showing up on Just Watch. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, it's out there. As always, guys, please continue to tweet us, write us, um, send us ravens. Um, those those haven't lived. We've tried, oh, no. <laughs> um, but we're not really great bird keepers. <laughs> My um, cat ate them. But as always, it makes a, it makes our day, and we really love interacting with you guys and uh, getting to know your thoughts on what we're doing and the films that you're watching. Yes, so, we appreciate it. Every single comment, even if it's just a "Hey, I checked out such and such film and I liked it," or "Hey, Cloud sucks too." Yeah, <laughs> um, that's also fine. <laughs> or "Hey, you guys suck. Why are you podcasters?" Yeah, that's also fine. Um, but it's uh, yeah, listener episode next week. Tune in. It's been great fun, and as always, you have been listening to Genre Exposure. Bye, everyone. Take care. You're listening to the Prescribed Films Podcast Network, home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment. The shows on this network all have a common goal, providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media. The PFPN hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy. Visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com. Thanks for listening.